0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Retro Mecha Podcast. I'm your host, Ian, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Greg. Hello, Greg. Hi there. How are we doing?
1: Yeah, not too bad, yeah. Um, Feels good to be back after a bit of a hiatus. Um, We've both had a lot going on recently, haven't we? So it's taken a long while to get this one out.
0: It has. So uh, m- much longer than I really wanted to get it out. But uh, I moved house four weeks ago, and the whole sort of build up, the move, and just getting sorted, and sort of we've both been busy at work as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's taken a bit longer. But here we are, we're recording. So that's good. It <laughs> <Good feel, laughs> does feel good to be back talking about uh, robot anime again. Indeed. So, today we're going to talk about dultaneous robot of the future um and actually for once this is one that you've seen before and i haven't
1: yeah it's a very strange turn of events <laughs> a weird an- anomaly it's like some strange uh, thing going wrong with the space- space-time continuum or something
0: <laughs> so i think this was one of the ones so as we talked you know i think on the first episode um you know i watched an awful lot of stuff raw so there's loads and loads of the odd shows like Diapalon and Combat of V and Voltus V and stuff that I've seen, but I've seen raw. Um, and I think... All possi- very
1: dodgy HK subs once upon a time. H-
0: yeah, all dodgy HK DVD subs, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think this one was either... When I was going through that time when I was just burning through all these robot shows,
2: um, mm-hmm.
0: I was saying well, half, at least half of what I was watching was, was raw uh, uh, releases. I think mm-hmm. at the time there just couldn't have been a release of Daltanus, otherwise I'm pretty sure... I would have have seen it then, but thanks to Lura fansubs, you know, one of the, uh, you know, sort of heroes of the uh, retro anime world.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely one of the heroes of the Mecha community, absolutely. He's uh, done a a
0: very good job of fansubbing Deltanious, along with a couple of others. Um, Mm -hmm. We get to watch it with decent video and good subtitles. So, you know, bow down. You know, we bow down to these people, (laughs) because we wouldn't be able to do this if they weren't People out there dedicated to uh, fan subbing this stuff. So yeah, you know, it's, it's...
1: fantastic that um, you know there's such a bunch of dedicated uh, people who are pursuing this stuff. Absolutely.
0: So uh, yeah, so how long ago did you actually watch this, Craig?
1: I think it was about. Uh, it wasn't too long ago. It was about 2016 or something like that. Oh uh, right, um, okay. That was when the the um, productions uh, fan subs first appeared. Right. Um, I became interested in watching it um, a few years before that. I'd i heard the name and I knew it was a lion make show but I mm. didn't really know a lot more about it than that and I yeah. remember seeing some things about it online I'm just seeing some images and that and I know it's it's very popular in Italy apparently it had there um, quite some time ago I don't know if it was in the seventies yeah. or early eighties I believe it might have been about nineteen eighty or something but um, anyway I I became even more interested in the show and I saw the uh, the Chogokin toy images for it online all oh,
2: right yeah I think
1: the Chogokin toy came out about twenty fifteen something like that
2: yeah
1: and um. I think it's fair to say that it's not that well known in the West, really.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, At
1: least not by general anime fans. You'd probably have to be into your to, to kind of know a bit about the show. Um, But there's not that much on the internet about it, really, in terms of reviews and stuff.
0: No, no. You know, been doing the research for this. It's actually there's very, very little content out there about Mm. Daltanious. So, um, yeah. So good to actually give it, uh, you know, a bit of uh, visibility and. You know, a bit of mm-hmm. exposure, really. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it's always been on my radar because it's, you know, we'll talk about it a bit more, but through some of the sort of designs and some of the people that worked on it, um, mm-hmm. and again, the period, which we'll get into more sort of when we look at the context of the show a bit later on. Yeah, it was always something that I'd wanted to get round of. And, you know, with a decent set of fan subs out there, mm-hmm. you know, it was a bit of a no-brainer for us to, um, to review on the podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Okay and with that we'll uh, we'll now get into our actual review and talking about the show itself. <laughs> So Mirai Robo Daltonius or Daltonius Robot of the Future to give it its English name is a 47 episode TV series from 1979. It was directed by Katsuroshi Sasaki, who was predominantly an episode director, but followed up Daltanius with directing Trida G7 and Dioja uh, at Sunrise. And this was produced by Sunrise in association with Toei Animation. The music was by Hiroshi Tsusui. Character design was Saburu Yatsudi, and Daltanius was actually his only uh, character design credit has lots of other original creator credits for other sort of late 70s to, uh, to mid-80s mecha shows. Mechanical design was by Katsuishi Murakami, who did um, mechanical design work on Ulysses 31, Laser On, Radiant, the Brave and Dairaga. The art director was uh, Tadao Nagahama, uh, who did this after completing his Robot Romance trilogy, which comprised of Combat Levy, Vie, V and Daimos And he also directed Ulysses 31 and the second half of Riding the Brave uh, after Yoshiki Tomino. Uh, unfortunately, this was his last work and he didn't actually see the end of it. Um, he died during the sort of last part of uh, production, so he never got to see it as a completed series, which was a bit of a shame.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, just, I read a little bit uh, about that um prior to doing some uh, research, that review, and I, I hadn't actually uh, realised that beforehand, but that is, that is a real shame, yeah. Yeah. So a bit of a synopsis. Mysterious aliens from the Tsar Empire are mercilessly attacking the cities of Earth. When Kendo Tati and a group of young orphans accidentally discover a dormant spaceship hidden beneath their town, they meet an alien refugee and enemy of Tsar, Dr. Earl, whose greatest invention may be their key to fighting back.
0: Right, so that's the sort of background and a brief synopsis of the show, so we'll get into our review of Episode 1.
1: Okay,
0: so... Let's talk about episode one. It sets off, uh, tells us that it's set in the far-flung future of 1995, which yeah. I imagine in <laughs> 1979 felt a long, long way away. But you know, here we are, 25 years later, nearly.
1: <laughs> yeah, we talked a little bit about that at the uh, macroson, I believe, and we, yeah. you know, it, it's it's quite funny. There's a lot of things on Twitter a little while ago about the fact that um, we're now we've now kind of uh, reached the era of uh, Blade Runner and
0: yeah. there's no
1: spinners or androids yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, and 99 will be 30 years ago in sort of nine months, you know, eight months' time. So, yes, yeah. yeah, so
1: it doesn't, doesn't tie a Very sobering thought. <laughs> Very sobering thought, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so the um, the episode begins with our heroes scrambling out of the rubble of a war-torn city to steal stuff in the middle of the night. And they're under the sort of watchful eye of a mysterious figure. Characters are quite young children. But one of them is a teenager called Kento. Um, we've also got uh, Manube, Jiro, and Tananosuke. We then cut to a daytime scene where we see um, some people listening to a radio mentioning that the Japanese government is in exile in Okinawa since the appearance of the mysterious alien invaders. At this point, the authorities have no clue who they are or why they attack.
0: Then we cut to a market scene where we see people trying to buy some very expensive food and everyone is in sort of torn or ragged clothes. And then we see Kento, Tenusuki, Jiro, Manubi stealing Food. You know, they create a diversion and steal some food, mm-hmm. and then they get chased by the market traders, and they they fight their way out of the situation and towards a tower, which then fires lasers at them.
1: Yeah, which prevents the pursuers from getting any closer to them, doesn't it? They get yeah. they get kind of stopped from uh, from the pursuit.
0: Then we they go back to their ramshackle house, where we get introduced to some more characters: uh, Sane, Achami, and Danji. And uh, Sane, who's a sort of late teens girl, uh, wants them to give the food back. Um, yeah she
1: doesn't really approve of her thieving ways at all does she
0: no and Danji who's this kind of cool guy uh, he sort of gets into a bit of a fight with Kento
1: yeah well more than a bit of a fight
0: yeah. <laughs> does into a full on
1: brawl doesn't it it does
0: yeah
1: <laughs> soon the guys that they ripped off catch up with them and there's far too many to fight so everyone uh, flees but Tanidosky ends up falling down a hole and finding a strange cave yeah beneath the town uh, they decide to take refuge, but then they find something very strange inside the cave. A large room that's filled with computers, monitors and hardware that look very advanced. And then it sort of cuts to the uh, the break part, the eye catch uh, pops up.
0: And then Manubi, uh, he sees a cockroach and he jumps onto the control panel and in typical sort of 70s mecha <laughs> style, uh, jumps onto the control fashion. panel and his backside <laughs> hits a button that makes the chamber Shape and we cut to the outside and see a massive spaceship rising from the water
1: yeah so that's our first kind of indication of where they are um the old man who's briefly glimpsed at the beginning of the episode appears from the chamber and gives the kids a hard time for for their curiosity and and he basically um just starts giving them loads of grief and that's our first introduction to dr l who's the owner of this spaceship
0: So he's a mysterious character who we don't know much about at the moment, but obviously has a bit of interest into what's going on. Then we get an alert that the nearby tower sort of reveals its true form, and it's that of a giant robot.
1: Earl remarks that the kids can make themselves useful, and suddenly these mechanical arms extend to grab both of them and dump them through these electronic doors, and seats sort of take them down these tubes to a cockpit of two different crafts, and instantly like dress them in pilot in suits. suits yeah <laughs> yeah another another sort of second the 70s mechatrope. yeah <laughs> um kendo pilots a vehicle that docks with a robot called atlas while danji boards this futuristic jet called gumper the robot wakes and they've they've got basically fired and taken on despite having no experience but Earl has given them instructions uh via an onboard communicator
0: yeah And Kento's cockiness then nearly gets him into trouble. However, he is able to overcome his opponent and in the end destroys the enemy with Danji's help. The two of them have no time to rest, though, as a full-scale assault is on its way to meet our newfound heroes. So that's episode one Mm -hmm. of Doltanus, Robot of the Future. So what did you think of it, Craig, as as an opening episode to this long TV series?
1: Yeah, pretty good for an introductory episode, actually. Um, there's a lot of curious things in this first episode, you know, it, it, it sets things up, um, nicely enough, I think, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's not too much sort of action in it, you know, that all comes in at the end. Yeah. And there's a good balance to it. It has a real mix between goofy comedy antics and, and like sort of scenes like the disturbing flashback. Yeah. To the first attack in which Kendall's family are killed.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um, cause we didn't mention that, but actually there is a sort of brief flashback uh, to where you see the sort of beginning of the invasion.
0: Yeah, so I think when that's where sort of Ganji fights Kenta, I think just after that there's his flashback. And I think you're right, I think it sort of establishes that there's an attack, as there always is, as some alien attack, but sort of quite quickly gives you a state of the world of mm. Daltanus, um and, you know, like all good shows, kind of sets the seeds of mystery about what's going mm. on, so doesn't give too much away, but gives you enough you know that there's something you know they're in a state of war and i think you know the the market scene where you know this food is very expensive no one's got money and you can see everyone in the in the torn clothes and everything sets that you know
1: yeah.
0: this isn't just happened this is yeah happened a few months ago and, you know, and everyone's, everyone's
1: just totally in disarray like nobody knows what to do the government doesn't know what to do and uh you know this it's just like everyone's gathering around this radio listening for news we yeah. wonder what the hell's going on really
0: and I quite like the fact that it actually starts with the invasion already having happened
1: and mm, you're some too. ways
0: into it. Because I, that, I think, you don't often see that in shows like this. Often you're waiting for the build-up is the attack. You know, the first half yeah. up to the eye-catch is often building up. You often get sort of the first attack or something about the eye-catch time and then you get the first battle against the enemy afterwards. So I, mm. I do like the fact that it moves this. Um, and, yeah, and as you say about the tone, and quite interestingly, for this first episode it quite clearly sort of sets out you know a sort of
1: duality of this show well (laughs) yeah there's 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 like two tones in this show quite a lot of the time
0: but i think though interestingly if you look at you know when we can compare this to zambot 3 which we reviewed in Mm. our first episode you know those scenes in um of the flashback there's nobody getting vaporized true you know exactly, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of shows like this so i think quite clearly even though it shows you this sort of darker side of the war and people dying in the attack um mm-hmm. it isn't as brutal as a lot of other mecha shows yeah. have, have been especially agree, around the, yeah. especially around this time so i think it clearly states that you know this is a young you know sort of mm. pre-teen early teen sort of age group it's not
1: it's not
0: this first episode certainly i don't think is, is as excessively yeah. violent as some of the other stuff that we've watched.
1: That's that's true. I mean, the scenes where it shows you people actually dying, um, it tends to pause, the screen pauses, and you see them kind of being blown through the air.
2: Yeah.
1: But you don't really see any death. It's kind of like an explosion and lasers hitting buildings, and then there's yeah. like somebody being thrown through the air, and it's, it kind of cuts to a sort of still image of them to kind of accentuate the point, but it doesn't really show much violence in that regard. Um, but regarding the tone, I mean... And the brawls between Kendo and Cole and also the uh, market traders are really comic and exaggerated. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. there's a point when Kendo actually runs on one of the uh, opponent's backs, like, yeah. kicking him as he goes. He's, yeah. like, he's running on his back and simultaneously kicking him. But then on the other hand, it's quite funny that sometimes the brawls can be portrayed quite brutally. Like, there's a scene where um, Kendo kicks one of the um, gang, like... Squaring the balls under yeah, the floor, yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> and there's also scenes where people are getting really badly beaten on with like baseball bats and sticks and debris. Yeah, and they're and they're like bleeding and really like sort of scraped up. Yeah, so there's so there's a strange like sort of disparity between how fights are shown.
0: Yeah, definitely. Sometimes like
1: and how the violence is shown. So that was kind of interesting to me.
0: Yeah, so I think so I think it does a pretty good job as a as a first episode. Um, you know, I think quite quickly you can see. <laughs> You know, some of the sort of character traits are quickly established for Kento and Danji and Sane mm. and Doctor El. I think it establishes, you know, the first couple of mecha in it as well. So, you know, we haven't seen sort of the full Deltanius, you know, in the show yet. So, uh, you know, yeah. it hasn't, hasn't revealed that. So, yeah, I think it does a pretty good job of uh, sort of setting up the uh, scenario for the show, really.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that we get to see a brief sort of glimpse of the bad guys in this episode as well. Yeah. Um, we get to see uh, Kloppen, the sort of uh, general, uh, who's the the kind of, at this point, um, the kind of main antagonist. Yeah. Um, And going back to what we were talking about, the tone, there's also a scene where Kloppen's panther creature, Noba, actually just kills one of the generals because he disagrees with them. (laughs) Yeah. And he kind of rips them apart rather mercilessly. So... You do see a bit of blood in that scene, actually.
0: Yeah, there is a there is a little bit in that, actually. Yeah, yeah but, it, right. like,
1: but as you said, you know, he doesn't really linger on the sort of deaths of characters as much as some of the shows we've talked about. Also, the first episode's enemy robot um, is actually killed in a really over the top and quite funny fashion. I feel. Yeah. Like it's. I mean, the show. A lot of 70s shows have real overkill when the enemy mech is destroyed. Yeah. But I feel that like this first episode is particularly funny in the way that it does it because he gets he gets beaten senseless with a skyscraper. Yeah. Then he has his limbs chopped off with the hand slices that Daltanius yeah. uses. Then he gets cut down the middle with the hand slices, and then for good measure, Kendo goes mental with them, chops them up into tiny little chunks, and then he explodes <laughs> into fragments. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I also really uh, enjoy the bit where Atlas spins the hand slices around. It's like it's like a sort of Wild West gunslinger, and then puts them back on his legs like, yeah. like the also, That's That was pretty cool. And there's a lot of little stylistic things like that in the uh, the show that I really enjoy. I think it's 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 quite cool in terms of, you know, like the way the um, the sort of uh, Daltanius is framed and yeah. some of the scenes that we see with him, uh, some of the little actions he does and stuff. <laughs>
0: yeah, because the way the um, the sort of closing shot of the show, uh, you know, with the steel of Atlas Gumper and Addera Space, uh, you know, and then the music, you know, it's a very kind of sombre mm. sort of end to the show, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It is very much so. And, it, and because there's sort of forces advancing um, towards them at the end, and we get the yeah. sense that there's going to be a battle in the next episode. Yeah, It kind absolutely. of feels like the first two episodes are sort of a two-parter, if yeah. you like, which yes, is quite right. a common thing with a lot of older shows. You tend to find that they do end with a bit of a cliffhanger to get you watching the next one. The
0: next one, yeah, definitely. That's very much the case. How would you rate this first episode? I'd give it an 8, I think. I think it does a pretty good
1: job. Yeah, I would absolutely 100% agree with that. Uh, that's what I've got written down, an 8. Good pacing. Uh, enough mystery to be left over um, yeah. for the first the next couple of episodes will develop more about yeah uh, things like uh, Dr Earl where he's from and Daltanius and stuff like that so there's there's definitely some good um some good kind of mysteries that are left hanging a bit like other shows we've talked about you know it doesn't kind of play its hand right at once
2: yeah
1: we don't get any you don't get any combination stuff for another couple of episodes and um And it's just well-paced and interesting throughout. And the action doesn't come in until quite late on.
0: Yeah. Which
1: I think is good because it gives a bit of chance for characterisation.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it does a very, very good job of that. So, uh, yeah. So after episode one, into the next couple of episodes, we get a little bit more backstory of Dr. Earl and the history of the... Helios Empire, which he comes from, which is fighting this war against Tsar, and we get a bit more about Kento being the heir to um, the Helios Empire and, you know, the the heir to Emperor Perumium, and then we sort of then get into episode three in the search for Borelius, the uh, the lion mecha and, and our first appearance of Daltanius.
1: Yeah, the first episodes all follow on quite neatly from each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's they give a lot more um, of Earl's character, including a bit of backstory about how he landed on Earth in Japan during World War Two.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think, like, similarly to how, you know, we talked about in Zambot 3, I think it just, quite neatly, a decent bit of pacing just builds up that. Mm. You know, we get a bit more about Kloppen and, and the generals. Um, mm. And, you know, the sort of scenario with the civilians. You know, who who start to praise and celebrate Adara Space and, and Kento yeah. and Deltanius because there's someone that's now sort of putting up a fight against the Tsar Empire.
1: Sure, yeah. Kind of like a kind of like sort of almost encampment of people around Adara Space. You know, there's yeah. like, there's, it's kind of almost like followers, if you like. And some of these civilian characters actually get a bit of screen time, like Torogoro, the market trader, who was one of the uh, people the kids stole from in the first episode. Yeah.
0: I would say he actually gets quite a bit of screen time throughout the series. He, he does, he's, yeah. He's, he's quite a major bit part player in uh, you know, bit yeah. part character throughout the show. It's, it's quite surprising how... And he, he turns up in some quite significant bits.
1: Yeah, he does, it, yeah. He? he gets to react to some of the kind of major yeah. plot twists and things in the series. He starts out as kind of, you know, one of these characters who puts up with the kids but he's kind of often yeah. got his head his hands about the antics yeah, yeah. you know he's kind of like those mischievous little brats kind of yeah. thing but soon he kind of like warms to them especially as he heroes and he yeah. becomes quite a sort of regular fixture of outer space and the campsite with which kendo and his friends live
0: he does kind of have that um you know kids will be kids mm. sort of attitude doesn't he you yeah. know as much as they sort of drive him mad he does kind of
1: care about um, quite a warm bit.
0: to them and care about them, yeah, exactly.
1: In fact there's actually quite a significant episode there uh, later on where he does talk at, at length about his kind of feelings for them because there's
0: Yeah
1: without getting into spoiler there's a scene where they have to face a quite decisive battle. Yeah. Um, and he's quite worried about, you know, the whether they'll come back or not.
0: Talking a little bit about the whole structure of the show, you know, we'll we're we'll talking to a bit, I think in many ways the first quite distinct sort of stages of the show the first seven episodes really build up the whole Kento's being the yeah, heir to the Helios to, Empire. Yeah, to,
1: to actually uh, and, take on that role.
0: Yeah, Dr. Rill wants, you know, he wants to revive the Helios Empire because Kento is the heir. He keeps tr- sort of forcing him to do it. You know, keeps putting this pressure on it. Kento is an, an everyday kid who doesn't aspire to that. You know, he just wants to sort of get revenge yeah. for his parents, really. And then after that, and I do have some, you know, and I'll, I'll say at this stage, you know, some of the story structuring of mm. Daltanius I do have yeah. a bit of a, a, a Abs- little bit of a Absolutely, problem with, yeah. if I'm honest. I'm
1: because
0: build up this bit, and then from episode eight, all the way through to episode, the end of episode 20, then suddenly you get into this very episodic, mm. character-based
1: Very much so, there's a lot of very goofy stuff in this, in this kind of block of episodes. There's a, yeah. there's a robot called Camaretto that the kids construct. It's like a pain. Yeah. it's a bit crap, really. You know, it's it's kind of like a sort of comic yeah. relief thing that's always breaking down. It's it's weapons are rubbish. Um, you know, they've got it. It generally, if it saves the day, it's by accident.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. And it's got those sort of boing boing oink, 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 ding ding sort of sound effects with it. There's,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's like scenes where the kids are chasing each other around, and like, you know, there's there's always kind of antics to are quite you know, typical of like as what would be an American cartoon at the time, featuring the kids in yeah. or that kind of do make you roll your eyes a bit at times. And this treatment of yeah. Tananowski as a character, he's just the total yeah. black eye stereotype, yeah. isn't he? It's
0: horrible to he is. Yeah, he is. He is a, an absolute, absolute. Because there's, there's a stereotype there. Because even mm. they have this pet pig, um, Tonski. And even Tonsky gets his own <laughs> development, you know, background episode in this. Like, you know, and it kind of just goes with that whole...
1: Um, it's, episode, it's
0: episode 14. Um, you know, there's an episode...
1: Yeah, it's I've 14,
0: the yeah. Of notes, uh, and it was about that yeah. another trip yeah. to
1: Goofy Town. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, because it's, you know, Jiro and Tonsky. Um, together, you know, and it just gives the whole background of how Tonski ended up with Jiro yeah. and the gang. Is that you also know, the it's...
1: same one where Zar kidnaps him and puts a device in his brain that makes him shoot energy blasts from his eyes?
0: <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's at first I thought, has he been replaced by a robot double, which would have made a lot more sense, really. <laughs> but yeah, so we do get this block of very silly episodes. It very much cements yeah. the fact that the show is for kids. You know, because whenever, yeah. whenever, like, Taninowski, um, Jiro, and, and Tonski are on screen, and also, you know, some of yeah. the other characters, there's generally some sort of thing where they're, they're chasing uh, Tonsuke around, falling, falling over things, just generally getting into scrapes. Yeah. And it's not until episode 10 we where we get quite a dark episode about Danji, uh, the one about Danji's backstory yeah. regarding his father, which is a much more dramatic episode than we've been yeah. used to, and it's all the better for it, actually. Yeah. Um. There's, there's yeah. barely anything sort of comedic in fact i think there's nothing comedic in that one
0: no no it's quite it's quite a dark one you know and again it kind of does set out a lot of sort of danji's character you know the early on you see Mm. him with the throne of the stones and you understand he got he gets that from his dad you know a lot of those episodes i mean don't get get me wrong do a lot of good work in actually establishing a lot of background but i just think they could have been done rather than sort of 13 episodes Mm -hmm. that it takes to do that I think that yeah, could have been done in eight. Absolutely. really. I think it could have been in a much more concise way. Because when it did it after the first few, like one by the time we got to about seven or eight, I thought, okay, we've got we've got a few character centric episodes mm. here, which is fine, you know. But when it carries on, carrying on, I was a bit, I was feel a bit like, oh, you know, what's going on? It's completely. Mm. Yeah, taking because you don't get any of the um, Kento's mm. story. Apart it just from just kind of, sort of comedy
1: things with uh, Doctor L trying to get him to live up his yeah, responsibilities, the typical stuff. But it's not really a focus yeah, of plot.
0: But that's not no, and that's not until about episode fifteen or sixteen. Mm. That's a bit later on. You get this big run of where it's it takes you away from that story, which was actually mm-hmm. getting quite interesting, and it was looking you know where it was going to go. So, and it isn't until episode twenty one where. Uh, gratis turns up um you know and then he you know he bows to kento um and he's introduced mm-hmm. as prince kento you know and he brings the message where that that whole story i well the whole story of deltanius it does yeah i mean track, there I are think.
1: episodes before that that have dark moments in them or like you know but a lot of them are still tinged with silliness like for example there's an episode yeah. where um and, a charme really wants to go to school it turns yes. out that this local school that's opened, it's kinda of like a little ramshackle hall where the kids get lessons that is actually yeah. being controlled by Zar, And it's a ruse to get Kento to go yeah. there. because uh, he has to attend a parent teacher even. Then yeah. it turns out all the kids are wearing these demonic yeah. masks and they're being mind controlled by Zar. <laughs> and it's quite a dark episode, but it's still yeah. like really silly and it kinda of reminds me of the sort of stuff that you used to get in yeah. lots of Chuck uh, Tokusatsu shows in the seventies and stuff. I mean like the kids yeah. have like um Right. They have like uh, musical instruments that are weapons. They have like triangles that are like shurikens yeah. that we throw and explosive tambourines, <laughs> for God's sake. It's totally crazy. But that's the sort yeah. of thing you get. You get, you know, dark moments that are still tinged with silly comedy. And that's a yeah. good example of how those early episodes can sometimes be interesting, but they also kind of take you out of the whole ongoing story a little bit.
0: Yeah. Cause I think, I think at that point, certainly by the time you get to like 17 or 18, it's yes. just gone on too long. And I think it, it, it takes you out because when you get to episode 21 and I'd say in the story gets back on track, you start to get actually into a very, very good run of episodes. Absolutely you do. Yeah. And a really, really interesting because you start to get actually a bit more into what's going on in the wider universe yeah. outside of kind of what's going on with the Kratos gang on earth.
1: actually um, has a brief appearance in the series. He does kind of bring a lot of news about what's been happening with Helios. And then we get into a lot more stuff about what's happening in the galaxy. And there's more helians turn yeah. up. I don't know if that's the right term for them, Helions. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. And we get uh, you know a lot
1: more about the kind of ongoing story in general. Um, Gascon is another character who turns up a couple of episodes later. Yeah. And this is a much much more serious episode um, than some of the stuff we've been used to. You know, definitely. It,
2: there's there's one yeah. scene at
1: the beginning where Earl falls into the water and has a kind of comedy pratfall. But that's the only bit that's that's silly yeah. in that whole episode. The rest of it is much more dramatic. There's a lot of confusion Definitely. over Gascon's arrival because he seems to be, he seems to have defected. Yeah, he's uh, a but bit actually it turns out that he? the um the, the treacherous Gascon is in fact a cyborg that's been created by Kloppen. and that the real yeah. Gascon has actually turned up to help them in the battle. So once Kendo realizes that yeah. and the two of them team up, it's probably one of the first episodes that feels you know very much like a. It's it, it basically echoes a lot of those really cool seventies robot shows episodes where there's like two heroes team yeah. up against a sort of yeah. big threat.
0: Yeah, definitely, and you know, and then like, and at that point as well, you get this story uh, sort of Aurelius backstory mm. with uh, Marillion. and that's a. I think that is a really really yeah, good episode. It, you know, it's that
1: sort of, you could and, you, when it begins, you think hmm, this could be very goofy territory, it, but it's it's yeah. kind of you know. But it's not no, goofy it's, at all. It's kind of no. cute, but it's it's not like uh, yeah. it's very very dark. I mean that ending in that episode. Yeah. I don't know if we should get into yeah, that, that or not, but like, it kind of introduces the concept that uh, Borealis has a mate, which is quite a strange thing for a seventies yeah. uh, robot show. But never mind. Um, yeah. And what happens to it is just absolutely devastating.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Because Zai uses her as a sort of tool to get to like uh, Borealis and kind of weaken Zaltanius yeah. since he's part of the combination. Obviously, they're not as yeah. strong without them. Uh, and it, the episode ends with a, a kind of wrecked sort of broken mess having just yeah. blown up. A very somber sort of Borelius kind of like, you know, just kind of lying by his side. Mourning over yes yeah.
0: Because, yeah. you know, she she sacrifices herself for the, you know, for Berelius hmm. and Daltanius. And, you know, that shot of um, Borelius mourning over her with the flashback to when they were just sort yeah. of cubs, you know, and the first met. I mean, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking.
1: It, it really is. <laughs> so, I mean, it's uh, it's. It, I'm not ashamed to say that. I was kind of, you know, the end of that episode just left us quite yeah. upset. So,
0: yeah, and then, you know, that follows on with um, more of Danji's backstory, mm. um, you know, which is another quite dark episode. Um, very much episode.
1: so. Pro- probably one of the darkest ones yet. And mercifully, there's like almost nothing uh, goofy in it. There's one appearance by Kamratol that's very brief. Um, I just got to mention something quite funny about this episode though there's a scene where Danji throws stones at uh, some inacious henchmen and just obliterates them out of existence (laughs) it's like he throws it that hard he just kind of kills them and they just disintegrate yeah so clearly he's uh, he's not only um, very skilled in (laughs) stone but he's actually able to kill people with them (laughs) <laughs> but this, again, Good. there's no kind of humor in that one, and it's all about no, far...
0: you know the shot the shot of um, the doctor um, when he gets shot protecting um, Achaiami. You know that's a re- that's quite a graphic. You know we haven't seen much. You know we've seen mm. bits of blood, but that's quite a, a fairly violent shot. Mm. Um, and then and then we get to episode twenty six, which I think is the sort of darkest episode. Mm. Well, um, that addresses obviously.
1: Grand Emperor Allman, who's the kind of yeah. head of Zon. He's the one that um, the Kloppen answers to. Yeah. But it's quite a common theme in these 70s Super Robot shows, isn't it? That there's, yeah. there's the antagonist and then there's the one waiting in the sort of darkness it's that's darkness. the puppet master. Exactly, yeah. And it's and just... Ter- he, he actually turns his, his panther Noba into a cyborg in this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what a bastard.
2: Because you know <laughs> <Yeah,
1: okay. laughs> he, he, um, he gets grilled by Orman for uh, continually failing. Yeah. And he says he's got a... He'll, you know, if he gives him one more chance, he'll, he'll uh, yeah, sort of right. do out. And then it just sort of cuts to the scene where he walks out of the meeting, slaughters his panther, and says, bring that back as a cyborg. Go yeah. on. <laughs> it's just it's, it's crazy, and it's it just sort of comes out of nowhere as well, considering he's been, like, you know, a feature of a lot of the episodes. You've seen this yeah. kind of pet by his side, and you thought he actually quite cared for him, but no.
0: No, no. No, he's just... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that, and that
0: episode, I mean, I think episode 26 is the highlight of the series. I think that is the it best is episode in the series. It's a very, very good episode.
1: It, There's a very grueling scene later on in that episode, which we've got yeah. to talk about. I mean, that scene in the series, my God. Yeah,
0: that scene is... Because the other thing as well, I think, from about sort of the mid-series, about these sort of early... Uh, sort of episode, sort of twenty-one onwards, because I think the the animation starts to get a bit better mm. as well. I think you can see a, a, a distinct improvement, and the way yeah. some of the shots in the 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 sewer, because um, because basically you know Kloppen's using this
1: mind thing, control device, mind
0: control thing that's putting suicidal thoughts into Kento's head.
1: Yeah, it's like um, it makes not it The so way that
0: scene is sort
1: of framed
0: and the sort of darkness and the shading
1: yeah it's real it direction really sets
0: there. the tone yeah absolutely
1: you, you can see the you know the sort of the things that a live action director would employ
0: yes absolutely yeah that's exactly what i was going to say because it's it you kind of start to get a bit of a cinematic feel
1: mm. to
0: it you know and the, sort of the art direction and the cinematography that creates that especially that bit in the sewer is absolutely fantastic
1: it really is. I mean, it, it, first of all, it, it creates a sense of yeah. claustrophobia because he's trapped yeah. in the sewers. At this point, Coppin's men is like sort of cyborgs that are yeah. like looking for him. And he's he's wounded. He's only got yeah. a handgun. He's not got any of his mecha or any sort of like of of uh, Earl's inventions yeah. or anything. And he's kind of alone, like shot and kind of... Blew. Was he shot or yeah, cut? He's absolutely. bleeding anyway. And he's not in a good way. And he's, he starts to have these horrible hallucinations yeah. of address space yeah. destroyed. And really, it gets really sinister at this point because you see um, him imagining uh, Sunny basically kind of communicating the fact that she's died and that she's in the afterlife. And she she says something like, uh, come and join me and the others. It's easy. All you have to do is put the gun in your head and pull the trigger. And I'm like, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, I know. This is like very, very dark stuff for the time. I mean, it's I I can't even recall a a scene that's, that's quite as bad as this in. In many of the 70s shows i watched, I know there's some quite dark ones, but I think you know, this I mean, really stands out.
0: You know, because this comes me. only two years after Zambot 3, you know, mm. and you've got the whole sort of human bomb bit in there, you know, and I think this scene is right up with that scene where, uh, I can't remember the character's name though, but where she blows up in, Disgusting, yeah. you know, that scene. I think that this scene is, you know, we talked about how dark Zambot 3 was, but I think this bit, some of these bits here, and especially mm. these run of episodes sort of, sort of in through the sort of mid, to late 20s, um, you know, I think it's it's really as dark as, as Zambot 3 as is. it
1: gets, yeah, I mean, it's it's it definitely is. I mean, I think that Zambot 3 maybe has a more pronounced kind of like dark yeah. tone throughout the show, whereas this, as we've discussed, dips into sort of goofy yeah. uh, territory. But uh, when this show is dark, it's very, very dark, dark indeed. Yeah. I mean, I was really shocked by that the first time yeah. I saw it. <laughs> I was preparing this rewatch i was kind of thinking oh here it comes you know the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i remember this one and uh the second time i saw it it was no less shocking much yeah, like yeah. you know you, you've watched zambot 3 multiple times yeah. you said that that scene where the, that, that character dies is particularly affecting, and i found this scene just as
0: yeah it is it's, it's just as affecting, and that episode has a very very tense ending you know it's mm. it's really builds up because i think you know adder space and the whole crew are kind of on the back foot at the end of that episode mm. uh you know Addera space gets damaged and you know, D- Daltanius gets down you know it, it's uh, yeah it's a really really good episode and then i think from there you know you get um it carries on some you start to get into this bit with uh arlin who's kento's father um mm-hmm. which is kind of hinted at a bit at the beginning early on yeah and then it's dropped dropped for a very long time for like 20 episodes Mm. and then you know sort of in the late 20s you start to get you know he starts to make a a reappearance
1: he does, yeah and it's because it's kind of hinted at that he's possibly alive yeah we don't we know he went missing but we don't really know what happened to him so i think you know most viewers would probably assume he's he's alive so i don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that yeah but certainly he becomes a big fox of the show because yeah. being a member of the Helios Royal family, he's obviously quite central to the plot.
0: Yeah. And there's a load of stuff that happens with him and with Kloppen. And we discussed this before we started recording. We're not going to go into too much of it. Otherwise, it will give away the whole yeah. sort of last third of the show. Which And, you know, we want people mm-hmm. to go and watch this show. So we're not going to spoil it. But... There's a load of stuff that happens with Kloppen, Kento, Dr. Rell and Arlen and the whole sort of build up to the end.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And to be honest, I think once it gets to about episode 39, 40, Mm -hmm. um, you can, I found it ever so predictable. If I'm perfectly honest, there was a lot of stuff which was really, really broadcast sort of Mm. how it was going to end. Um, Yeah. And not to say it it was bad,
1: because actually
0: I no. think it's a really good ending to the show.
1: Yeah, those episodes are really good, but I think if you've watched as much um, of this sort of stuff as we have, yeah, and also with the passage of time in the seventies, it was probably quite fresh. Yeah, but it's not to say they're bad. You're quite right. It's not, they're actually really cool episodes. Yeah, but some of the twists are maybe a little bit predictable. But that's yeah. not to take anything away from the no. fact that they're very entertaining episodes, indeed.
0: You know, I think it was a very good... I think that run, really, from episode 21 through to the ending, um, Mm. I think was actually a really, really strong run of, you know, whatever, 26 episodes. Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, it's just really, really good... I think the story writing's quite good. I say, as you say, you know, we're not new to this stuff. We've been watching this stuff for a very long time and we watched an awful lot of it. So a lot of the tropes and whatever are very familiar. Um, and I say some of it I think is broadcast and and a bit predictable but that's not to say it isn't a great story and I think actually the final three episodes when you mm. when it gets into the run and how it actually wraps everything up yeah um, I think is really really good and I think actually that the that the final episodes are really strong sort of closure it is. to the story
1: and it's an unusual final episode for the simple fact that there's a lot of it kind of told from the kind of bad guy's point of view in a strange way yeah you know, absolutely like,
0: yeah
1: because it actually begins not giving any spoilers away here but it begins with a quite long sort of story that a, one of the sort of antagonists is telling the heroes yeah. about what happened and why a lot of this is even happening in the first place yeah. and it could be seen to be a big exposition dump but it's actually quite effective yeah and it gives you a lot of understanding as to why the things have been shaped the way they have
0: yeah absolutely yeah
1: uh, and you actually, dare I say it, start to get a, bit of, a little bit of sympathy towards some of the bad guys later yeah, on in the show yeah. because of how they have been treated. Yeah. I mean, again, it's difficult to sort of uh, not to give spoilers, but the way that uh, Kloppen has been used yeah. in the latter half of the series,
2: Yeah.
1: Um, while you don't exactly feel sorry for him as such because he's still a genocidal man yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can understand his actions to a certain degree. And you want to, and he basically ends up in a character arc where he's seeking revenge against yeah. his former allies. That's right. And you are kind of on his side in that regard. You know, you want to see yeah. him pay for what they've done, even though he's not a sympathetic character. Yeah. Because his aims line up with the hero's aims, and he wants to, you know, take revenge against Almond.
0: Yeah, that's it right. It gets
1: pretty intense.
0: Yeah, and I think you know it does through the sort of the sort of mid to twenties to some of the late thirties. Those episodes, I think, do a really good job of sort of seed in a lot of Mm. a lot of sort of clues which but then but then I don't think they've come as a surprise or you can or you think oh actually I think that's gonna happen and then it does.
1: Yeah. Um, so it kind of more to do with our familiarity about that sort of thing. And I think it it almost does fresh in the seventies, yeah and I think
0: yeah, I think in the seventies I think I think you're absolutely right. Um and I think almost in some ways it does too good a job of hinting at what's to come.
1: Yes. Because there's scenes with Kloppen where it teases his identity. Yeah. And you're like, right, well, he can only either be this character. Yeah. Or potentially somebody kind of linked with him. And you're like, all right, okay, I think I know where this is going. And it turns out that you're right, you know.
0: Yeah. You know, and and I think it's about episode three where that uh, scientist, Namil, shows up. And Mm. there's some of the things he reveals. It's like, and it gives some stuff away. And you think, oh, well, actually, it's, it's not going to be that way it's going to it's yeah something it's else is going to twist it's going to twist the other way which is kind of predictable but yeah actually i think is a really really good um you know some of the twists at the end i say a bit predictable but actually really good um and it just sort of closes uh, it out really well and you know i think with yeah there's a there's a little bit of sort of bittersweetness of to the end um mm. i think it's a quite a very sort of 70s ending. Yeah. In, in many ways yeah. but uh not to say that's you know d- a, a derogatory a, yeah not a bad thing or derogatory in any way but i think that that plays through you know and i think how it flips between Arlen, kento um you see a few more characters like gascon you know he turns up and dies you know it's not scared to do that in the in the latter bit of the yeah. show
1: there's so much character focus on this show in both the good and bad side you know yeah. both the evil characters yeah well which turn out technically to be kind of grey characters more yeah. towards the end when we find out more of the motivation.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it's a really good show it's showing both sides of the war and showing both sides of the yeah, yeah. Klotman could be written off as a quite sort of one dimensional yeah. villain yeah. at the beginning.
2: Yeah.
1: Um the fact that he always wears a mask and, you know, his identity is a big point of the sort of focus yeah. uh of the show. Um, a lot of these things, you know, are very easy to kind of shrug off as not yeah. being Particularly uh, great uh, plotting at the beginning, but as we get on, you know, it's it's really good, just the depth at which these things are explored.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, we, we discussed Macross a little while back uh, when we talked about how you were saying that one of the episodes could easily have been the final episode, and actually, yeah. you, you might have preferred that. Well, it's funny that Daltani successfully um, manages to have quite a sort of climactic final battle episode against Zar, but then extend the story and not yeah. do that officially. Yeah. Because there's an episode where... um. Kendo and Danji make a decision to go to out of space, space to, attack,
2: yeah.
1: to attack a sort of Tsar base, yeah. which they may not come back from, which was the episode that I was talking about where Toragoro is showing a lot of concern for the, the safety. And despite there being an episode where they go into outer space, fight the bad guys head on, enter the, infiltrate the base and have yeah. a massive battle against them, there's still a lot more story there after that. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And it doesn't really effectively, whereas there's some shows that would do that and you kind of feel, well, this could have been the end of the show. Yeah, rate. yeah.
0: I completely agree with you on that. I think it does that, which could have been quite sort of climactic, but mm. isn't that, but isn't, and does it in a way that actually sort of naturally progresses the story. Yeah, because um,
1: there's there's big stakes to it, and there are yeah, consequences yeah. to what happens. But we we kind of know that Zars throughout the galaxy, this is only one of their bases, yeah. and they're not going to be put down that easily. But this is also um, quite an important episode for the simple fact that that's the one that teases Clopin's identity. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there's a
1: scene where Kendall confronts him. He's behind glass, he uses uh, he uses the uh, Gatlin flasher, which is the sort of Gatlin gun that yeah. Atlas has, and smashes the glass that's behind him and it smashes some of his mask, his mask. and gets a little bit of his eye. Yeah. So we kind of get a bit of a clue as to who he could possibly be.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's like quite good. Like to say, there's maybe a... Well, I was, was going to
0: that's say, that's quite good where it kind of teases that stuff along the way. Mm. You know, because it's you can there's a lot you can see from that eye and that and it's yes. you know one you find out he's human one the sort of look of the eye you know and it's it's very clever that's quite good you know I think that does yeah does sort of
1: adds the right amount of
0: intrigue the, intrigue absolutely absolutely there's some other bits about the show a few things you know there's a lot of flashbacks through the show of Kento mm. uh, you know and I think that kind of reinforces why he's you know really only sort of hell-bent on revenge yeah, um, and there's a couple other things like that as well. The amount of times that uh, Daltonius gets electrocuted by the various Borg and Twinborgs is—I mm. think it's—I counted it. I think it's something like 21 times or something like that. I mean, it's he's <laughs> repeatedly. It gets a little bit overused. I mean, it's a very—it's a massive 70s super robot Trop, trope, yeah. anyway. But I mean, it does get kind of a completely kind of overused. I think yeah. in this show
1: because we hadn't actually mentioned that. Um, the enemy mecha are known as uh, Ben Boggs initially yeah. and then there's this kind of an upgrade later where, they, where they, most of them become twin bogs but you still do see Ben Boggs from once once Allegedly, in
0: a while. Yeah because that's yeah. Like an episode where you know where Daltonius gets his uh, mid-series upgrade.
1: Mm. Um, and even and reappears wearing a sort of shiny yeah, new costume. So- yeah, and seriously, and there's not real a lot of real explanation as to no, why the it's, no. it's, it's time.
0: <laughs> it's, everyone gets a mid-series upgrade, don't they?
1: Yeah, because the uh, Daltanius gets new weapons. We'll talk about the uh, the weapons and abilities uh, later on when we talk about um, the mega design, I guess. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's you know he gets a few new uh, tricks up his, his, up his sleeve uh, in the old arsenal.
0: Yeah, and there's a few other bits of odd stuff as well. I think in there's an episode which I think is episode 15 where. You know, it's kind of like 70s science or anime science where there's this little wind turbine, but it's powering a massive city. You know, it's like, it's anime physics.
1: Yeah. So interestingly, there's a little bit of uh, sci-fi MacGuffin introduced in the last two episodes. Yeah. Episode 46 and 47 introduced something that uh, Manabu discovers uh, called the hyperspace energy release.
2: Yeah. That
1: basically enables... Um, it enables uh, Kento to uh, to fight back against Grand Emperor Ormond and sort of get the upper hand in the final battle.
0: Yeah, because I think in that one, I think Neshia's got this thermonuclear barrier protecting her ship, and the hyperspace energy release allows Daltonius to to go through the barrier, doesn't
1: it? I That's think, right. Basically... Yeah. And he also escapes Ormond's grasp with it because Ormond has him in a kind of like hold where he can't get out of.
2: Yeah.
1: Because uh, he's incredibly is st- like uh, Mecha is incredibly strong. And then he uses the hyperspace best energy relief and kind of like basically sort of sends them flying backwards and yeah. escapes his grasp. Because, I mean, building on that a little bit
0: as well, I mean, in the very final episode where he sort of absorbs the sun's energy and, and powers up again, there's, there's a bit where he's glowing and mm-hmm. that kind of that felt very um, Ideon mm. to me, you know.
1: I see what you mean there. I had not thought of that before, but I see where you're coming from with that. Because
0: all these shows kind of run concurrently. And, you know, they're made right up until the week before they're aired. Um so, you know, there's a lot of time to sort of incorporate mm. new ideas quite late on in a show.
1: Yeah, and I think that shows in a lot of shows of the era. We've talked about other shows where something seems to have come out of nowhere I was never or in some cases is introduced and then never referred to yeah, again.
0: You know, and Daltanius was, you know, aired before the end of Idion, but it's interesting. They were both at Sunrise, they were both sort of being in they were in production almost at concurrently at one stage so you know it it does make you wonder what sort of cross-pollination there was you know whether Mm, you know Tamino and that saw Daltanious and thought oh actually there's a there's a bit of stylizing there it's difficult to say but Mm -hmm. I, I just really got that kind of that feel from it you know
1: yeah and now that you've mentioned it, I can see where you come from I didn't think of it at the time but Definitely. Now you've, you've said, yeah,
0: um, yeah. Just going back to some of the the other sort of odd bits. I think there's Danji where he goes into uh, <laughs> Kabuto's ship. He, he does. He sneaks on without any breathing gear, even though he's on the dark side of the moon. You know? Yeah, there's just, there's you know there's there's anime <laughs> physics, isn't there? You know.
1: So yeah, one of the most surreal things I think in the show is that in that episode with um, Tonsky yeah. the pig. Um, there's a moment where um there's this really surreal and nightmarish shot where Jiro's half awake and he's kinda of just woken up and Tananosuke is like yeah. right in his face and he sees his face cycle between that of being completely normal and being this really yeah, freaky yeah. demon thing that looks yeah. totally nightmarish and it scares the yeah. hell out of him and it's it's so seriously yeah. odd and out of place. It's like if he'd taken some hallucinogens I can understand it, but he's just woken up.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's just so it's such a bizarre little like yeah. sort of gag. Like, just uh, through it, there's another that bit. One. I
0: think it's episode seven where, which is a, a like a really, really, I think it's the most sort of comedic episode. Um, and it's where um, Tonski mm. winks at Captain Herman, and Herman's like, "Oh, is that pig mm. winking at me?" And then pops loads of pills. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: it's, yeah. it's like really odd stuff like that. i would forgotten about that one. Yeah, I forgot about that. There's, there's also a scene where um, a character who arrives later on, called Princess yeah. Kiatnu who wants to see of yeah. Harry Kendall, is uh, is trying yeah. to feed him, and she's like, you know, just just <laughs> let us just let us do this for you, and she's shoveling food into his mouth, and uh who we who is you know the stereotypical um, sort of portly character, is is kind of like, do it, do it, you know, <laughs> that's kind of odd, but very funny. Probably for all yeah,
0: because like another <laughs> bit mention of um, Chiatino. is um, like Hermeca and Nicias and um, Benborg, and um, both fire missiles and stuff out of their breasts. You know, it's just which is a very very good is thing, sort of, isn't it? I mean, yeah.
1: Gonnagai um, with um, was it Venus and Aphrodite and Mazinger.
0: Yeah, it's,
1: yeah, that was know, uh, that, that is something that I think has been a, a torch that's been carried through the ages There's loads of uh, yeah. traditional uh, breast missiles. Just, you
0: know, and it kind of it, <laughs> that sort of thing really sort of. In many ways, quite ages it Mm. firmly, sort of sets it in in the seventies.
1: Yeah, but I think because that's so ingrained in uh, Mazinger, it's like they kind of even use that in the modern (laughs) ones because it it wouldn't be the same same without. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: there's other stuff as well. I just want to touch on you know, we talked about this a bit in in the Zambot Three review. You know, the the sort of kind of depiction of war sort of stuff. You know, it's there's still this sort of legacy of World War Two that runs through. This show mm. it even obviously is explicitly to it. Yeah. mentioned
1: since it's part of the plot whereas in other shows it's more of this kind of subtle nod
0: you know it, it recalls the um, US bombing of Japan in of during World War 2 in episode 3 um, you know some of the stuff where Ochemi uh, is abducted by Nesha you know it's again this kind of do you save one or do you save many and the bit where um, mm. Sane is infected by the alien poison you know it's sort of the chemical weapon you know and the thing with the The little starfish in the cans, you know, the sort of chemical, biological weapons stuff. Um, There's a couple of bits, um, you know, that involve the schools because there's the bit where, you know, the episode referred to where Ochimi goes back to school um, and she gets the flashback, you know, about going to school and her parents parents died during the attack because she was excited about going to school. But I think that kind of as a thing that says this is what it was like for us as kids you know because a lot of these Mm. producers are sort of post-war you know sort of grew up with the legacy or the immediate aftermath of it Mm. you know and there's a lot of sort of producers and stuff who were kids during world war ii and i think it was kind of like well this Mm. is what it was like for us during world war ii and then the bit with the school Mm. teacher you know with the guilt about saving his son and not the kid with buses during the attack you know
1: yes yeah because all the students aboard the school bus um all sort yeah. of uh, die don't they and that's that's quite a dark one which we didn't mention actually as you see a uh, Paul Buster's school yeah. children dead at one point which is pretty dark
0: yeah I know it is pretty dark because if you read testimonials of Japanese people through the war a lot of them made you know a lot a lot of them had that actual guilt where um you know they were yeah. they would save a family member and maybe at the ex- they save one person at the expense of saving four or five expense you for know. another. you know the czar propaganda you know the leaflet drop which again is a very very world war Two thing you know mm, there's, there's a very much there's a so, lot yeah. of references to it um and i think they're actually quite explicit references
1: they are yeah i think i definitely got a sense of you know this was obviously made by a very kind of like post world war Two mm. generation just in some of the sort of uh, framing of the scenes yeah. of destruction and you know like some of the stuff about um just the way the sort of city's portrayed and everything being a ruin and everyone's sort of yeah, scraping yeah. to get by really there's a real sense of kind of camaraderie of like everyone's in this together and they're all sort of trading with food for each other and things are really expensive and there's no real like the civilization but it's in yeah. their pockets
0: and i think that actually um I think that's a really good point, and it's, again, not something we've we've really touched on. But actually, the camaraderie that comes across as these bunch of sort of orphans looking out for each other, uh, I think, is really good. Mm. And I think the way it portrays that is really, really good.
1: Yeah, because they're kind of a surrogate family they
0: in many ways. Exactly, you know, and they look out for that. And I think, you know, and I, we'll talk about this a bit more with the characters. But you know, some of them take on those roles, kind of. More than others, do. don't they? Yeah, you know, it's, and it's quite, and that's quite consistent as well. And I think that's you know one of the really good things through the series, um, the, the way that mm. portrayed. So I think going back to a, we talked before, I think you know, in many ways, I think there's you know there are some, I think some clumsiness to the the structure of the storytelling, mm. but I think the story that it actually, yeah. a lot of the story that it actually tells you through the series is is really fantastic.
1: Yeah, it really is. I think that, um, but despite those early stumbling blocks, yeah. it sort of it's committed to a very kind of in-depth yeah. story, much more so than a lot of the shows yeah. of its ilk. Like a lot of the shows yeah. of its era, you know, where a lot of those shows would be content would be yeah. content with just quite simple two and villains and like Mecca of the Week and, you know, a kind of big space yeah. battle at the end. They wouldn't necessarily like have the depth of characterization and sort no. of plotting that uh, Daltanius no, no, does. No,
0: I think it does that very very well. And that neatly leads us into a discussion about the uh, characters. And the best place to start, I guess, would be Kento, who is yeah. the uh, hero of the show. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of your sort of goofy... Sort Brash, of, loud. Yes.
1: Bit sort of uh, arrogant at times. Yeah. But he loves his surrogate family and friends. He does, bits, and yeah. he's, he's fiercely loyal. Yes. You know, he's, at the beginning there's just the surrogate family, but obviously later his, his dad comes back into the picture. yeah. And while he kind of initially struggles to have a bit of a relationship with him, there is soon a bond between them.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, he really... he's got a very big heart, but he can be quite impulsive, can't he, and gets them into scrapes. Yeah,
0: because <laughs> there's that bit of his dad, you know, he, he struggles with him because he, you know, he comes into his life and he's like, well, I don't I don't know him. You know, he's, he really sort yeah. of struggles with with him sort of being away for so long. Um,
1: cause you get yeah, the, absolutely. Um, That's quite realistic, really, from that sort of way. I for, think it is, you know, yeah. For such a show that, you know, that has so many sort of, it's a silly comedy and things in it it's it's um it's quite it's quite good the way that sort of the way that relationship's observed i think
0: yeah definitely because you get the bit with his um, grandfather you know who teaches Mm -hmm. kento how to defend himself you know yeah the scenes of the bullies and everything and i think that's quite realistic in in the absence of a father the grandfather steps in and kind of Mm. shows him how to be a man and grow up and everything um
1: yeah, the grandfather's actually quite a good character who only yeah. appears in two episodes, and I think that's a bit of a shame, actually. There's maybe a bit more scope to use him a little bit, even if it's just in a couple of flashbacks, you know?
0: Yeah. I think he's, again, I think he's in. He's used enough to kind of build mm. Kento, yeah. you know,
1: to oh, yeah. flesh, him out yeah. a
0: bit, flesh him out enough, really. Um, his relationship with Dr.
1: L comes into play quite a
0: bit as yeah. well, with
1: his resistance yeah. to accept his role as the, uh, as the new emperor
0: because he sees himself as that everyday man and he doesn't see Mm. himself as anything special. He doesn't see himself as being better or higher or anything than anyone else around him. Um,
1: Absolutely. I mean, he even goes to live in a sort of, in a ramshackle old trailer rather than going to live in a royal room that's been prepared for him by Earl.
0: Yeah. You know, and like I say, it's because he wants to be of his surrogate family. You know, he doesn't, Mm. you know, he's no better than them. So why should he live in the royal room? You know, he's he's an equal with everyone else in the gang in his mm-hmm. eyes because it's quite interesting for that because there's the, there's an episode quite early on where all the locals are sort of praising him and not the others and Jiro and Danji get quite jealous of him
1: yeah that's right
0: yeah and there's a little bit of resentment there
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but he kind of that's the only time it kind of sort of partially lets it get to his head and you see that he has great integrity as well because that episode I think 40, 41 or something mm-hmm. uh, I think it was 41 where the soldiers try to hand Kloppen over to Adrees Base, yeah, um, and they want to do it for their gain. They're kind of, mm. you know, I think they're under the kosh from um, Omran, mm-hmm. and um, but they want to kind of defect, you know. So like yeah. if we hand over, you know, and Kento's like, no, I won't, I won't be a part, you know, mm-hmm. a part of anyone who wants to sort of give someone else or sacrifice someone for their own gain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sort of
0: thing, you know. So he's got amazing integrity, and the bit where he gets um. He lets himself get infected and captured, you know, to help the others. Yeah. Um, that scene quite, again, another one quite late on. And even though he's really sick, he still fights in Daltonius and yeah.
1: everything. So, you know, he's, a, he's he's really, really got a kind of heart of gold. He strikes up sort of friendships with characters easily, you know, like a lot of the uh, yeah. Helion characters, especially Gascon. He, has, yeah. he ends up having a yeah. really quite sort of remarkable friendship with Gascon after such a short amount of time being friends, they become very close and he, he seems to have that ability to just kind of
2: warm the yeah. people
1: quite quickly. Even in some cases when they've kind of previously been an enemy, um, you know, he yeah. kind of, like, gains a kind of relationship with them. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's a great montage in episode 22 of him goofing about. I think <laughs> yeah. it just sums in thing and it's just, it's just like 30 <laughs> seconds and about three, four, five, six cutscenes of him mucking about. It's a great, it's a, you know, yeah. that kind of... You know, that kind of sums him up because he's just he is just a goofy kid at heart.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then we've got Dr. Earl, um, the creator of Atlas, Gumper and therefore Zaltanius as well. And a refugee from the planet Helios. He's obviously, as we've discussed, he's obsessed with re- restoring the Helios Empire to its former glory. And he re- yeah. just gets completely obsessed with Kendo taking over that role. Um, yeah, but he's he's quite an interesting character because he I mean he's he's one of the first characters we see on the show and he's although he starts off being quite a sort of comic character we do get a lot of um we do get a lot of characterisation as he goes on and he becomes becomes quite interesting I think because he's the one who has all the backstory and exposition and all the stuff yeah, I- that we need to know about the ongoing plot.
0: Yeah, and he, and he does, because he's this character who's, like, constantly exasperated yeah, by Kento. Yeah, he is. He's just you got know, his Kenta... head
1: in his hands every two seconds about Kento's Yeah,
0: hands. you know, and he's <laughs> you know constantly kind of making him faint or, you know, <laughs> like you say, put his head in his hands by Kento, you know, and he really, really pushes it because he, he really wants to defeat Tsar and he really wants the Helios Empire to, mm. you know, reform and, you know, become this... Uh,
1: he wants to, wants it to become to be,
0: yeah, absolutely. He wants a glorious
1: it to be, empire again
0: yeah he wants it reinstated to its former glory mm. um you know and it's interesting how he you know sort of hero worships arlin as well yeah um that's quite you know you see that quite a bit later on that he's the heir or he, the current heir sort of thing yeah and uh you know sort of really sort of hero worships him and, and really pushes kento and arlin together mm-hmm. And really, he acts as the sort of link between all the other characters between Pinto, yeah, he yeah. Arlen, Kloppen, and Omran. You know, mm-hmm. he he really is the the pivot point that all those characters kind of like you say because he does a lot of the exposition about the background yeah. and what's happening. He he therefore becomes this very very central key character really. Yeah,
1: I mean, he he drives up quite an interesting relationship with uh, Manabe since uh, Manabe kind mm. of becomes his understudy. But we'll uh, does, we'll, we'll uh, sort of get to that uh, when we talk about him yeah. in a little while.
0: So I think then we'll probably move on to Dan Jean, mm-hmm. who's he's sort of the slightly older, cool young adult. He plays a mean leaf. <laughs> yeah, he does. I was going to say that. He plays a very mean leaf. In addition to
1: his uh, stone thrown skills, he's got an unusual skill set, this man. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you can tell he's the cool kid because he's got the long fringe over one eye oh, as yes. well. Oh, so, yes, yeah. Which is, which is the classic 70s uh, cool character trait. Yeah,
1: indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's... um. He's got quite a compelling story yeah. as well because of the whole thing with his father being wrongly imprisoned yeah. and unfortunately executed as well. Yeah. Uh, and his his search for the kind of murderer um, forms quite a little nice mini plot arc. Mm. Um, and it's it's a really good part of the show, that.
0: Yeah, and I, I think his backstory and those episodes, outside of Kento's sort of story as part of the, the major arc... <laughs> I think his story is actually really good because you can see that he's got all this pent up anger. There's this rage within him Mm -hmm. because you see the way he gets into fights with Kento um, doesn't take much to spark him off into a bit of a rant or rage. That's right. he used to be a criminal gang, didn't he at
1: one point just explored in one of the episodes. Um, So he was quite an angry young man.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you understand why, you know, Mm. and he never quite shakes off that, that angry young man thing about it. Does he He's Mm -hmm. kind of, He's almost got this big chip on his shoulder, hasn't he? Yeah, you know, very he just much sort so. Of carries it around with him, he, even when he resolves the sort of the real murderer and yeah. proves his father's innocence and
1: stuff. He's still you know, sort so of carrying yeah. that weight of what's happened. You know, he's, it's he's he's yeah. glad that he solved the the sort of mystery, but at the end of the day, it hasn't made things easier for him. Really, I really like the way the the uh, episode that focuses on um, Danji's quest to find the murderer actually pans out because at the beginning of that episode um instead of having the jolly title card music like the the music is absent yeah. and there's this really yeah. sort of somber scene of him crying at his father's grave
2: yeah and previously
1: yeah. we've never seen him showing any real sort of like weakness mm-hmm. yeah. and then to see him quite crying like that it's it's yeah. his grave is quite dramatic and because it's it just sort of cuts to that immediately at the beginning of the episode without any music it, up- yeah. opening it's quite effective that i thought
0: it is quite effective, yeah. It's very good, and you know that's actually what the the show on a whole is is very very good at. I think it, you know, those sort of intense or sort of dramatic or emotional character mm. moments, um, it's really good because Danji essentially he acts as this kind of constant prop. He's just for Kento, you know. He's 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 always there for Kento, yeah. Um, and he's and he's the one where kento won't listen to dr rill mm-hmm. um when danji comes and gives him a bit of a kick up the backside mm-hmm. you know kento will kind of listen to danji so yeah you know he's, he's you know he's again he's quite key to the uh, sort of part of the support mechanism to to kento fighting on
1: definitely yeah i mean these although they start off at each other's throats a bit they soon become yeah. a lot more you know a lot uh, sort of better friends and He is always his constant advisor and the person who kind of you know sometimes picks him up when he's going down the wrong path.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we've talked about some key hero characters. So I guess probably worth talking about Kloppen.
1: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Our our main uh, antagonist of the of the series. Sure. Um. So it's a bit again a bit hard to talk to talk about him without giving too much away (laughs) as we've alluded to in our in the main review. But um, you know Kloppen is. uh, he has a rough time in
1: this. He game, really does, he? doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, bloody hell!
0: <laughs> <laughs> he really is. He really gets a, it gets a rough end of the the stick in this. Um, but you know, I think he's. It's quite interesting because he, you know, he doesn't know what's. Doesn't really understand his legacy,
1: no, or
0: his history.
1: Yeah, that's one and of the best ways to without uh, giving too much away. Uh...
0: <laughs> um, you know, and he's he's a general and he's you know and we see as we mentioned he's very ruthless turns his pet panther into a cyborg mm. you know and he and he gives all the um his generals a quite hard time you know he's very very ruthless yeah he even kills um, some of
1: them when they disagree with them as we, we've mentioned
0: exactly <laughs> but then again interestingly when the bigger bully comes along
1: mm.
0: you can see that there's a that part of the cowardice so it's a bit like the relationship with uh, Killer the Butcher in Zambot Three, um, when he meets the Geysok Master. You know, he's he's the big nasty bully, yeah. but then when he meets the bigger, gets in front of the Absolutely, bigger bully, he like becomes deal. a bit of a coward.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of keeps him in line, doesn't he? And um, and just kind of treats him a bit like a child in some ways.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, and Kloppen's the same. You know, as you say, he sort of treats him like a child, and it's like you're not doing good enough. I'm going to give you one more chance. Don't let me down. Mm. Um, so, and, you know, Kloppen's uh, they're begging begging for his life yeah. sort of thing. So, um, But then actually we see in the end, he's, again, trying not to give too much away, but actually he's an all right guy sort of thing. Mm. I really. mean, although um, he's done
1: some terrible things, like he kind of, you know, he does redeem himself quite a lot by the end yeah. of the series. And I mean, the fact that Orman sort of uses him so sort of yeah. shamefully, you know, he, he really just like uses him as a sort of disposable tool <laughs> to achieve his own ends, really, doesn't he? Yeah, once he realises he's he's been used, you know, he sets on this kind of path of vengeance and yeah. then, like, goes after his own generals and Norman himself.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, sort of, going back to our, sort of, protagonist uh, group, we I think the next one probably worth talking about is Sane. Yeah. Who's the, uh, sort of, mother hen of the group. Absolutely.
1: She does um, very much take on the role of a, kind of, surrogate mother, doesn't she?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, does everyone, sort of, cleaning and washing and makes meals for everyone and stuff like yeah. that and puts up with a lot of shit to be fair (laughs) she does (laughs) she's very much the moral
0: compass i think Mm. of the group yeah in many ways you know when they're stealing or doing something she'll always be like she'll be always the the voice of reason it's like you know you can't do that and you know they they sort of listen to her yeah um and and everything so yeah like i say she does put up a lot of crap from the rest of the group
1: and and speaking about putting up with stuff it's a scene where it shows you her first meeting with Kendo and Cole and Kendo's stolen a chocolate bar which he gives to O'Chame. Yeah. and then yeah. they get the blame for stealing it. And yeah, some guys come with like planks of wood and start to beat her up. <laughs> yeah. And it's like bloody hell, it's pretty harsh. Like it's I mean that yeah, I that goes back to what I was saying about the disparity between the way that violence yeah. can be portrayed. Sometimes Kendo yeah, can be run yeah. on a character's back multiple like kicking them multiple yeah. times and other times people are just getting beaten senseless with chunks of wood yeah beating a beating a woman up with yeah. a plank of wood
0: by a group of men i know it's horrendous it
1: yes. really is uh but yeah that's that's so that one was a bit eye-opening that flashback but yeah i'm surprised she actually uh forged any sort of friendship with him based on it's that shit,
0: i know <laughs> but she, you know she does and she and, and she certainly mothers a charming um,
1: she does as well because the know, two of them are very kind very much together before the, the whole group yeah. aren't they so
0: yeah yeah, so, you know, they, they sort of form a bit of a bond and sort of help each other out. Well, certainly Sané helps Achami. Um, and then, you know, they're there, and then they're together and form that bond, and then they join the group. And you see that kind of bond's quite consistent and much closer mm. uh, throughout throughout the series. Yeah. Next, I think, uh, Tanuski. Yeah. Um, our, our, As you say, our, our
1: lovable, overweight... Dungaree wearing a ball cut headed sort of
0: yeah. <laughs> stereotype.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the show doesn't really treat him very well at all, does it? No, Tink, uh, no. We, you can't really avoid this as, in talking about it. I mean he's a completely over the top stereotype. The big yeah. guy obsessed with food who hallucinates yeah. about it. You yeah. know, he sometimes sees uh he sometimes sees Tonsky the pig as a pork chop. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know, yeah. And he's and he's one of those guys that you know, you see a couple of times in episodes where he quickly falls in love. Yeah. Um and then he'll do anything for a pretty girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he and he gets that kiss off them at the end of the episode. I think it happens two or three times through,
1: through yeah. the
0: show. You know, he's he's a kind of again, he's a very sort of lovable character. Mm. Um, and, you know, and he's saying about the food as well because there is that one where he eats the poisoned food. Yeah. Um, when he's so hungry, and he and knows it's like, a he knows good he should eat it.
1: It's poisoned. We <laughs> don't know for definite, but they're like it's been put there by Zar <laughs> probably as a ploy yeah. Don't eat it. It's probably going to be dodgy. <laughs> yeah. and he's like, I am so hungry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he still eats it just, and then he, he goes on something and like,
1: f- um, well maybe just a tiny bit will be okay <laughs> yes <yeah.
0: laughs> but that's quite interesting because <laughs> he follows that up by smashing up the console under the influence but then sort of redeems himself with like an amazing act of bravery yeah
1: he infiltrates um, uh, as he our spaceship on, doesn't he and...
0: yeah he goes on to Nessia's ship disguises as our soldier and smashes up the console on her ship you know so you know, at the end, because Kento gives him quite a hard time about it, mm. which is why he goes off, because, you know, Kento, another thing is he doesn't suffer fools gladly at all. Yeah. Uh, does he? You yeah, know, even he gives... kids,
1: he really berates them when they do something wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, there's an episode with Jiro uh, where he gives him a really hard time. Actually, I'll talk about that episode yeah. when we get to Jiro, because that's quite an interesting one. But uh, yeah, but, yeah he, he really doesn't suffer fools gladly, and he gives people a real earful when they do anything, even you know do yeah. mess up even in a minor way <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: um so that probably leads us quite nicely on to Jiro, who's mm-hmm. kind of tanuski's partner in crime is yeah he, really? absolutely
1: i mean he's he's very immature um yeah and you know he's often just kind of you know seen to be sort of running about with um with you know like Tan- tanuski and uh and uh, tonski the pig yeah. and sort of getting into scrapes and things but well, he can be a little bit of a nasty piece of work at times.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I think it's one, it's one of the quite early episodes. He meets this kid whose mother is went, listen, the mother's made arrangements to meet him if they get separated at a certain place.
2: Oh, yes. And yes, he knows yeah. where the
1: place is, but he deliberately tells him the wrong place to go. Yeah. Because he's jealous of the fact that he's.
0: But he's got, a mother. He's got yeah. a mother and
1: he doesn't. And he's like, Yeah. you know, because he's still quite hurt about losing his mom. And that's yeah. just pretty evil, really. That and that is the scene yeah, that I'm I talking know. about, where uh, Kento just really goes to town on him, saying, "You know, yeah. do you realise what you've done? This this woman could be, could be dead now. You yeah, know, you, you could have and getting him or her killed.
0: And it, and I think he was one who kind of with uh, Manabe, kind of he's one of the key pilots with Tonsuke of uh, Camarete. Mm you know, isn't he, yeah. in those early episodes, yeah, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's full on with that, and I, and it's the way he's drawn as well, with like the coloured, the sort of hmm. big round coloured
1: nose, yeah, he has very know, a very comedic sort of appearance, doesn't he, like a, yeah, he has a kind of Rudolph-style nose,
0: <laughs> you know, and they're kind of, you know, with um, Tanuski, and you know, he's, like I say, the big sort of overweight oaf, and then you've got the little kiddie with the sort of big spiky hair and the big comedy nose, they are these kind of little and large comedy acts yeah, absolutely. That kind of in the show, aren't they? Very much
1: so. I think that their antics and a lot of stuff they get up to, I mean, I've said about the sort of comedy being a bit sort of like tiresome at times. But the thing is, it's not like, it's not offensive to us. It's one of those things that like no. you know, they just use it a bit too much in some yeah. of those early episodes. Like, I, you know, I get the fact it's a kid's show and, you know, that's, you know, that's the kind of audience they are going for. But it's it's just maybe a little bit overused and kind of sometimes used yeah. in episodes which you could do without that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Because I think, you know, we talked it a little bit um, about the tone of the show. But, you know, the, one of the sort of problems of the show is it's tonally inconsistent. I don't think it knows what it wants to be, whether mm-hmm. it wants to be, you know, dark or whether it wants to be funny. It, it kind of, the way it flip-flops and, mm-hmm. and some of the character stuff is really dramatic and then it's really funny. So, um, you know, and it's... And, like, all these characters have moments where it's really silly and it's really silly, mm. um, or then it's really sort of serious and dark and heavy. Yeah. Know, it's, it's it's. I think it struggles to find a little bit of a balance mm. between... I'd agree with that. ...between the both, you know. And all these characters, especially the likes of Tanuski and Jiro um, and Achami a as well, to, to an extent, you know, I think a lot of what their storylines... They're the ones that kind of highlight this sort of tonal struggle Mm. in the show. If you look at this, because they do some things just really, really sort of dark. like I say, uh, Jiro sort of potentially sort of stitching up this kid and, Mm. you know, leading his mum to death through jealousy. But then he's a complete goofy, goofball, you know, muck about, mm -hmm. you know, as silly as it gets, um, you know, the next episode. So, uh, yeah, and I think those characters, those two and Tonsuke, I think you know they emphasize that uh that disparity nice, really. and kind of the disparity
1: yeah, yeah i see what you mean yeah. and it's it's you know there's a lot of anime that has you know really serious scenes and then comedy in the same episode but yeah. i think they managed to achieve it in a much more balanced way you know there'll be one scene yeah. that's quite sort of dark and somber and then one scene that's quite funny but they don't they don't kind of like uh you know infect each other shall i say <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they don't yeah. get in the way of each other there's a balance yeah, but yeah yeah you've hit the nail right on the head with that
0: so uh, let's move on to Manabe, who's the child genius aboard Addera Space.
1: Yeah, he has a sort of pension for machines, and he's he's interested yeah. in Doctor L's technology quite a lot, and he sort of Definitely, becomes this yeah. kind of understudy, his protege really, doesn't he? Yeah. He sort of operates out of space, and he helps out with a lot of the mechanical stuff, and he gets to know a lot of sort of inventions and how to control stuff and things like force fields and all that sort of thing. He, he's always, always helped, and he does calculations and things. He's obviously very smart.
0: And he designs uh weapons upgrades as well. You know, he's he's the brains behind all that. So. Yeah.
1: I believe he's um, learned a lot from uh, Dr. Earl in the course of the series.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's quite funny because, um, again, those early episodes, episode six, um, where Manabe, he, he shows a lot of interest in the history of Helios and mm. the building the empire back up. And, you know, Dr. Earl kind of, he's like, why doesn't Kento share his passion for learning Helios in his enthusiasm? You know, He really laments the yeah. fact that he's got one kid who's not the heir, who's really into it, and then the actual <laughs> heir doesn't give a damn and yeah. pushes it away as hard as he can, you know. Um, and again, with the, some of the, you know, stereotype characterisation, it's like he's the little kid with big glasses. Yeah. And it's like, so he's he's the smart one because he's got glasses. You know, in terms of stereotypical characterisation, you know, Manaby, he's got the glasses. So he's the smart yeah. one. You know. <laughs> the and everything here. we've talked about with, you know, Tanuski with his, you know, dungarees and he's the fat one. And Danji with the cool mm. fringe that's covering his eye. You know, you can instantly tell he's going to be the smart kid because he's the, the little sort of square one with glasses. Yeah. You know, it's it's not it's not subtle in its no, characterizations at all, is it, this show?
1: So. <laughs> well, I think that um, Manabe's, uh, it's cool that Manabe sort of comes to understand Dr. Earl in a, in a you know, quite yeah. a sort of uh, good way. You know, he understands his passion for the Helios Empire, he understands him more as a character in some ways, maybe. Yeah. Um, and they do have like quite a nice relationship as well because Earl mm. starts off as a little bit of, well, we should have really mentioned this in the uh, segment about Earl, but you know, he starts off quite, um, he derides a lot of like sort of human characters. He derides yes, like he their does. intelligence, yes. in, you know, the,
2: Yeah. and he's
1: kind of like, there's a scene where he's, he's sort of where Chama is um, possibly going to get adopted by a yeah. general, by what actually turns out to be nature uh, in disguise. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, you know, she's only a human earth girl. Don't worry about it. And yeah. he can be a little bit uh, sort of mean spirited in that way because he's so obsessed with his own planet and his own people he soon sees that Manabe is quite smart and he's like, oh, wow, this kid's got something about him. And because of Manabe, he becomes a bit more of a um, sympathetic character, really.
0: Yeah, I I agree, actually. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. You're absolutely right. Manabe is the character that that kind of does help Dr. Rell change his perception and and understanding of the Mm. human race, really. Yeah. um, Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think then we're on to the sort of final member of, of the gang, Achami, mm-hmm. who's the young girl, who's kind of just this sort of sweet young girl mm-hmm. who's kind of been through a lot. Yeah. The episode where, you know, we've talked about it, uh, you know, where she, she goes to school and, you know, she's gone to school and her, comes back and her parents are dead, you know, and ultimately she just wants to be a little girl, yeah, doesn't she? that's right. And
1: she's just I a think. sort of, you know, like you say, she's just a sort of sweet little girl who wants what everyone else has. You know, she just wants to be an yeah. ordinary kid. Go yeah. to school, you know, have friends, live a normal life. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. that's kind of been snatched from her because of what's happened with zara and the and the fact that the earth's been attacked so yeah it's um so it's it's kind of sad for it you know in that way is that she's the one who really desires that and absolutely can't have it and she's having to deal with that at you know a really young age because she's the youngest character of the group
0: yeah and i think she actually balances when you look at the age range through the group and all the different personality traits i think she does quite a good job of just kind of balancing out because there's only the two females there's only Sanae and her yeah but you know, her story and her sort of child-like thing, you know, sort of maybe just a little bit younger than Jiro, but, mm. you know, it kind of balances, like, just neatly balances out um, the, the group, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, that um, that makes a... There's a nice kind of age range between all the characters, and, you know, she does definitely um, sort of serve a purpose because of the fact that everyone's protective of her, and there's a couple yeah. of plots, like, to do with, you know, like the, the, uh, the school one we mentioned, and also that one where she nearly gets adopted um by what turns out to be nisha in disguise
0: (laughs) yeah that's quite good because you can see the real the 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 pull on her heartstrings on that Mm. you know um and again that's there's quite a dark bit to that because you hear this thing on the radio about this woman that's been murdered Mm. and nisha's basically taken her identity yes that's right and stuff you know and she's murdered a woman to do this to lure a away. way. That's you know, one of
1: the first kind of indications that there's going to be some pretty dark content in the show. Cause that's a very early yeah. episode, that one.
0: It is, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then, and then we've got Arlin, um, mm-hmm. who's the Kento's dad. Uh, he's kind of really just this kind of stoic,
1: mm. heroic figure. Sort of,
0: yeah. I guess
1: we get more characterization about him from Earl than we do from him in some ways.
2: Yeah, we do. About the way yeah. he looks
1: up to him and things that he's. You know, mm. the reasons that he sort of you know, really like um, admires him because um, yeah. he is kind of a bit of his quite straight character. I mean, he does yeah. offer a bit of wisdom at times and he's kind of, you know, mm. he is very sort of heroic, but he's probably not one of the most developed characters.
0: No, I to I say, I, I, I'm i glad you said that because he kind of he's in and out of the show mm. quite regularly. He's not he's not in it consistently. Mm-hmm. And then, when he, and then when he is in it, he just is this heroic figure. You know, he's he's more there for the plot, mm. more than as a character to be a character. Yeah, he's not um, he's not say, given a great deal you know,
1: of characterisation apart from, you know, he's no. the sort of heroic kind of former heir. Of yeah. He's a sort of bit of a white knight sort of character, I guess.
0: Yeah, and really, you know, he's there to kind of just move mm. Klopp and, and Kento's plot story along. Yeah, he kind of, uh, most sort of, of moves it, them towards it, conflict
1: know. with each other in, in some ways. Yeah. I mean there is one episode that sort of focuses on him a bit in his journey yeah. since he kind of ended up on Earth and then he got snatched yeah. by Zara again. Yeah. So that's quite a good episode actually, but it's an episode yeah. where another character's telling you his story. Yeah. And it's kind of more exposition than characterization for Alan. Yeah. So it's it's good and it's interesting when... story wise, but it, it doesn't really give you a lot of him as a character, mm.
0: because even when later on when he's like helping the slaves free mm-hmm. again there's other people kind of telling the story rather than than him so mm-hmm. you know you know you know that he's a good person and wants the best you know to restore helios empire and everything um but that's about it he, i say yeah. he's, he's he's probably the least developed um
1: he's certainly character. not a bad character but he's kind of a bit of a blank canvas he's, for he's the just, characters he's, to...
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah he's just not developed really mm-hmm. is he so and that probably then Moves us finally on to uh, Kloppen's henchman yeah. uh, and his group of generals that that report directly to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got to start with uh, Presarius. Yeah, really.
1: <laughs> I I really uh, enjoyed uh, whenever he was on screen because he, he has a kind of dinosaur like design, doesn't he? Yeah. But then he has a very interesting hairstyle,
0: Isn't he like rock star hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, he
1: has a kind of very like uh, <laughs> sort of can only really describe as a mullet, can't you really? Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's almost like a kind of dinosaur or lizard guy wearing a wig. Yeah, <laughs> I and mean, it just looks hilarious. <laughs> I mean, his, uh <laughs> the addition of hair to him just makes him into an unnecessarily funny character. That design yeah. without the hair would look fine, but yeah. I just can't help but... but laugh whenever he's on screen because but especially
0: likes... the color, especially with his the colors he's painting. Yeah, because he's like purple and well. like kind of purple and orange sort of thing, isn't he? Yeah,
1: it, really? and then he's got this just kind of like typically kind of brown sort of like human-coloured hair.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very odd. (laughs) And Um, they just,
1: they really stand out against each other, don't they? Yeah. (laughs) There's just quite a, he has quite a funny way of talking as well. A lot of the generals are given more characterisation than a lot of sort of henchmen would be in a show of this era, I feel. I mean, there's some exceptions, you know, I think of some of the Gonagai shows like uh, Mazinger and things like that. They have, they have kind of like lieutenants and generals that have a lot Mm -hmm. of characterisation who are important to the show. But there are also yeah. a lot of shows where they're given some, and you know they appear a lot and stuff, but they're, they're not really characters as such.
0: Yeah. I think one of the differences in Deltanius is that they're not killed off really early. Yeah. Because in a lot of other, especially a lot of uh, mecha shows from this era, you tend to get a new general turns up. He's in it for an episode or two, and then he's killed off, mm-hmm. and then the next general comes along. These actually stick around almost. A lot of them stick around, you know, right nearly at the very end of the series, mm-hmm. which is. I think it's actually quite unusual for for that type of character in in a 70s mecha shape. Mm
1: -hmm. They're all sort of quite colourful and memorable in different ways. And Prozaris is just like, he is definitely like one of the kind of ones that uh, just stood out to me most. because of his strange uh, hairstyle, but also just because he's kind of an animated kind of funny character.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, although he is one of the ones that does actually get killed off, yeah. the earliest I think doesn't he? Yeah,
1: I mean, doesn't
0: last that long. I mean,
1: I've got uh, rest in peace, Brazar. Uh, I will miss you on bullet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say then you got Kabuto, who's the uh, the bug-like one. Yeah,
1: because Kabuto's is um, a name for a beetle in Japan, isn't it? This. So I think, yes, that's right. I think yeah. it's also the name which with which they refer to the samurai helmet with the horns on it.
0: Uh, so right, I think that's okay. kind
1: of where they've gotten his name from. He's like quite a cowardly character. You know, he's always running. Yeah. And there's a couple of yeah. scenes where he gets in the escape pod like <laughs> moments before being destroyed. Yeah. And
0: he's
1: like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be back.
0: You know, so that's like
1: yeah. typical kind of villain uh, fleeing and uh, sort of swearing yeah, revenge. He,
0: yeah, the kind of cowardly... He's the cowardly one, isn't he? And then you've got um, Boda, who's basically a big boulder. Mm. Um, yeah, he gets... He gets his comeuppance quite late on, and I think he's quite him with um, Mitsuka, who's this? He's a little funny brain on top in a goldfish bowl on top of a yeah body, not he, you know, um, they're the they're the kind of devious one, mm. most devious. The ones
1: that sort, of, pl- sort they of kind of plot quite a lot, don't they? And, yeah, you know, and Klopp, and you know, his, when he sort of turns against his generals, like um, he's he's sort of kind of like hunting them, uh, yeah. And there's a lot of kind of conflict, and that becomes really entertaining, I think yeah um, that sort of like whole kind of like arc of the show the generals get a bit more chance to shine don't they and that's, that's yeah, quite cool definitely. actually Yeah. with Mitsuka there's a great scene uh, where he's introduced and he comes into a meeting room among all the generals sits down and he's because his head's in this kind of jar thing that can be detached he sits down without his head then he puts <laughs> it on the table and he kind of like gets comfortable and just starts the meeting and I just thought it <laughs> was really funny yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah that's a great little touch that yeah, is
1: absolutely it's yeah, just one of those and, little you know, things that like you know where the humor yeah. uh, was 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 quite on point
0: point. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's uh nesha who kind of you know is the female general you know she's so a sort of flowery yeah type sort of, of plant uh,
1: woman, type, type creature plant isn't type she thing. yeah and, and, and interestingly one thing we have mentioned is that some of the um henchmen have aliens who are sort of you know kind of of their race like Misha yes. has some sort of flowery type henchmen and yes. like yeah. Boyder has some sort of rock men. Um, yeah,
0: and Kabuto has like bug type mm. soldiers, doesn't he? Yeah, you're right. I was gonna. I, I, one of the things I did want to come on onto. Um, yeah, they do. They all have their their own soldiers or their own sort of yeah. individual armies. are all sort of drawn or shaped of themed around yeah. their own. Sort so you kind of get the sense
1: they? that maybe Ormond and Kloppen have gathered different alien races to be on yes. their side. yeah. And it's kind yeah. of similar to you know uh, something like uh, Dragon Ball, which has like Frieza has all these alien races that are all different, and those commands are also terrified of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that
0: sort of thing. You know, and this year she she, she, she ex, sort of you know one Klopp has been sort of put to one side, she she kind of takes his place, doesn't she? Mm. She she comes through as the uh, next sort of supreme general. That's right, yeah. character doesn't and she? she? So up... she she really has quite a big. Mm. big role in the, in the series she seems
1: to be a bit more competent than the generals not yeah, just because she gets yeah. promoted but a lot of the schemes are kind of generally a bit better and almost succeed sometimes yeah, um, yeah. and Ormond obviously recognises that because she's the one who gets um, promoted yeah. uh, towards the end of the show when, uh, when Klopp has uh, sort of outlived his usefulness yeah,
0: yeah, definitely so moving on to have a look at the production values of Daltonius starting with the animation you know, actually I think it's a pretty well animated
1: show Mm, I'd agree. I mean, it's got some really interesting transitions in it that are quite artistic mm. for the time. I mean, for example, there's a scene with like, a tragic flashback where the screen sort of shatters, given yes. sort of for another scene underneath. And there's also another, there's also a part where and drapes his cape over his arm and he sort of flings it towards the screen. And then the shape of his cape frames the next scene. yeah. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: I mean, it's kind of what you expect from a late 70s maker show. You know, there's lots of kind of the use of colour and the heavy pencil lines and everything else. Mm. But the actual fluidity in the show, you know, there's quite a decent cell count. You know, the animation never kind of jerks along. You Mm. know, it it runs quite smoothly.
1: Yeah. Um, It feels like they really uh, put their all into some of the sort of fights mm. and things. There's some very quite good uh, sort of... Quite well animated fights and some quite imaginative fight scenes yeah. in general. Like yeah, definitely.
2: The, yeah. You make
1: use of the environment and like sort of makeshift weapons and things, yeah. which I quite liked. Also, the scene where Baralios is introduced and he breaks through the rocks looks pretty yeah. cool, I thought. Yeah. Even though that's an early episode and the animation got better as it went on, I quite like that bit where he breaks through the rocks and sort of you know, leaps into view and we get a good look at him for the first time. Yeah,
0: it's definitely. It's quite dynamic. It is very dynamic. And, I, and, you know, mentioning the action scenes, there are some very, very good action scenes in here. Like episode twenty and the battle between Dartonius and the um, Borg, there's some really interesting use of shading and light flashes, mm-hmm. um, and you get these speed lines on Kento's helmet. You know, there's some
1: yeah,
0: you know, there's some really really good battle and fight choreography in the mm, action. It stands
1: scenes. out among a lot of the seventy stuff yeah, I've seen. I think Yeah,
0: definitely. You know, there's a lot of you know consistency with the character animation. I think there's a mm. there's a few obvious bits where they go off model. I think there's there's one. Episode in particular where Tanuski goes off, but generally the I think a lot of it stays on model really really mm. well, which is quite
1: unusual. Yeah, it's pretty consistent for such an old show, like definitely. And some of the um,
0: vehicle movement as well. Um, mm. You can especially back in some of the '70s stuff. Uh, could, the transitions as it rotates can look quite awkward, and mm. I don't think you get a lot of that sort of awkward animation or awkward angles as as they're trying to draw something changing perspective or you know as mm-hmm. it rotates around on the whole i think a lot of that is very very good And you know looking back at a lot of what i've watched from that era i think mm-hmm. actually it's probably one of the better um, yeah. animated shows that i've seen from that point and i think if you look at the summer you know if you look at at the same time gundam was airing and mm-hmm. um idiom that came after it I, I think actually a lot of the animation is better in this than what you see in Gundam and in Indian, you know. I'd agree
1: with that, yeah. I would agree with that because I think that you know Gundam and Indian have some very off model scenes and yeah. some scenes where some of the mech are actually drawn kind of badly, only for a yeah. split second at times. Him. But you know, yeah. if you kind of pause it, you'd be like, oh god, look at that.
0: Because there's always, <laughs> you know, that transition bit. Because there's always a bit at the beginning in the first episode of um, Gundam where Amaru's in that six wheeled car and he he mm. drives it over a ledge or something, and it's really, I say, it's really awkward the motion of it going mm-hmm. up and over and turning um and there's a few bits like that you see in in gundam and an but you just don't see it in Daltonius, you know yes yeah. the fluidity and stuff it's um it's actually it was quite taken aback at how good it looked at times given mm. it's a late 70s super robot tv show you know and the tra- let's face
1: it the transformation sequence is pretty damn yeah. cool of this show yeah
0: yeah definitely
1: Especially later on, because interestingly enough, even before Daltanus gets a mid-series upgrade and gets powered up, they actually added more animation to the combination yeah. sequence, which I found interesting. I think there's, like, when this show was in double figures, like maybe, I don't know if it was in the teens or the 20s, but certainly once, the sh- once you've watched quite a few episodes, they add a bit more detail to the transformation. Yeah. There's a couple of extra parts to it with the legs and things. Yeah. Which I was like, oh, that's quite interesting that they've kind of um, added this at this stage.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's <laughs> that uh, the second transformation scene which Gridman, you know, ripped sort of 40 years later, you know. Yeah, um, I think think has
1: been in the air, yeah. sort of, in a sort of formation.
0: Yeah, you know, that, I think, really, for, again, for a 70s TV show, actually shows an amazing amount of sort of art skill mm. and animation skill and, yeah. you know, and technique in it. You know, it's quite quite amazing, I think.
1: Because the Helios Crest is like a cross, isn't it? Yeah. And so, and so when, when the different parts of Daltanius are all Information before they connect they're actually in a cross shape
2: yeah that's right and that's yeah. that's
1: the sort of thing that is just quite cool the way yeah. they sort of thought yeah absolutely. Thought about that. yeah yeah i quite like that it's like it's just another little sort of you know touch that they kind of put in that um it's quite nice yeah and the
0: artwork and animation is full of little things like that which um i think really actually kind of step it up um mm. i think it really makes it stand out from a lot of other shows from that time
1: mm-hmm.
0: um it, i think it really does
1: certainly yeah
0: and leading on from that um the music as well i think is pretty good i think again it's consistently quite good through the show the, mm-hmm. the opening theme i think is standard late 70s mm. sort of
1: it's sunrise. Typically, yeah typically upbeat sort of intro yeah. song for the time <laughs> isn't it um interestingly enough though there's an in-universe use of it in the show um because it turns out to be a song that's that's kind of yes. been like sung by the children about del Tynes's sort of heroism yeah so like, cause you know they've they've we've all we've already mentioned that they've grown up, you know, in the kind of rubble of the city, seeing Daltonis' exploits and like you know watching him sort of fight for them. Yeah. And a lot of the families are quite attached to them, and there's this kind of like sort of camp of people living around outer space. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely.
1: And so it seems that like they've all kind of written a song about them.
2: Yeah.
1: And that so you get a scene where yeah. it's in the show, but it's not in the show as an insert song. It's in the show because it's actually being sung by the kids, which is. which is quite quite interesting I
0: thought yeah yeah, really sort of interesting use of the theme song I mean some of the music in it at times it's a bit goofy Um, it's quite good but it's a bit goofy but during some of the battle scenes and during some of the better battle scenes it does have some really cool music that really kind of ramps up the action
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, it's um, it's very atmospheric music. Some of it's quite heroic sounding. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, and
1: some of it's quite ominous as well at yeah. times. with some of the stuff. are um, it's just quite good. Um, the end theme. Yeah. You've the got theme to talk about
0: the end theme.
1: <laughs> it's extremely jolly, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes in the later episodes, they have a really dark end, and that can be a bit of a liability. Yeah. Because
0: you end up because I was just going to say because the end the, the end music you know that sort of tone. Some of these episodes in this end with a really, really happy ending. And then some of the episodes end with a really sombre or, you know, down yeah. downbeat ending. Mm. And, you know, you get accompanying music that suits the, the tone of the ending. And then it goes straight into this jolly disco track. Because you know? <laughs> yeah. I love <laughs> I mean, the animation you, that goes with it. Yeah. You, know, you know, they I all know, get into exa-
2: that exactly sequence. All thing,
0: yeah. They all get that synchronized dance step and do the clap. Um, yeah. absolutely love it.
1: It is, it is it is a fantastic sort of ending sequence, but when you have a, a scene where, you know, Boralios' mates just died and a wrecked body, is like, so he's, he's mourning over a wrecked, exploded body. Yeah. And then all the characters are like grooving on down, like seconds later.
0: You know, I mean, it's, a lot of the time, unless the music really catches me, you know, I don't often bother listening to it, but the first sort of 40 seconds of the end theme, I listen to it every time in Daltonius. You know, I just...
1: Yeah, it's just too. such a
0: great especially the animation <laughs> that goes with it um that's great just,
1: animation of them all yeah. dancing it really is. and uh it, there's a bit of funk on the soundtrack as well because yeah. after all it was the 70s yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely got
0: that a sort of disco yeah. and things yeah. occasionally it's definitely got that 70s sort of funk disco funk thing to it hasn't it so yeah yeah again i think you know it's I say there's some goofing music. I think, again, the music tonally struggles with the sort of tonal struggle the show has in general. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, but on the whole, actually, the music is pretty good. Uh, looking at the mecha designs, um, I think it's... It really, it's kind of standard Super Robot, 70s mm. Super Robot design, isn't it? I think Daltonius. I think there's anything particularly special about his design. Um,
1: yeah, I, I do like it, though. I mean, I think that... um Although it's, it may be kind of typical of the era, there's just something cool about that era in, in general, of the sort of super robot designs. And that's, you know, just maybe a personal thing, but I just really do like its sort of simplicity in a strange way. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of the weapons and things that Daltanis uses as well are really cool. Yeah. Um. And I think I've just always liked sort of animal and lion mech, I've just always found them quite
0: yeah, sort of that, empty. Yeah, you know, that the inter- integration of that, um, of Aurelius mm-hmm. into it, um, and the transformation I think is is really, really good. Um, and I quite like the um, the little ship that flies into the head, and you yeah, know, and that the there's some bits like ship. that, which the docking ship, you know, there's bits like that which are which are pretty cool as well. Um, but it's you know, I, I quite like the, some of the way the face on Daltonius changes as well. <laughs> I yeah, know, I think they can't help themselves. It's meant to be a robot, but you see, sometimes looks of shock or whatever yeah, on on his face, sort of or
1: something. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's quite interesting that, uh, that a lot of the yeah, 70s shows do have some sort of form facial expression. Yeah. We talked about that on, on Zamba 3's review yeah. as well. I mean, do you think that this series was was responsible for the trend of Lion Mecha? Uh, I mean, how popular was it in Japan, I wonder?
0: I mean, it definitely kick-started the whole... Um, this was the first Mecha show that featured the Lion bit. And
1: I, thought, I thought that was the case, yeah. yeah
0: um, mm-hmm. You know, and in the context of the whole sort of Mecha genre thing... You know, this was the first, and then it became a very popular thing with Go Lion, Gal Geiger mm-hmm. and a load of um, tokusatsu shows that, that used yeah. it as well. I mean, actually, very interestingly and quite conveniently timed, um, I did see on Twitter someone had posted a little montage picture, which... Yes, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, you know, and there's you know there's about 16 different mecha designs on that. I mean, the biggest one is Daltania's, because that was the, the godfather or the grandfather mm-hmm. of it all you know it's a great little sort of compilation montage picture that shows you all the mecha and either anime super center tokusatsu that's used the lion motif or the lion as mm-hmm. part of the um, mecha design so um, when we post the uh, episode i will I've, I've saved that picture i will i will attach it to uh to the thread mm-hmm. um when we post the uh, the episode because it's it's quite interesting to see because um i think unless you're maybe aware of it it's you know you're into the genre and you're aware of some mm. of the shows you don't realize how common it was and and it all kind of mm. started it started here really so uh yeah deltanus has uh you know a sort of standard sort of set of uh, cool super robot weapons which he calls out every time he uses as well which uh mm-hmm. um, the main one being is uh, flame sword which he uses to yeah. uh slice up the uh Enemy mecha or the enemy uh, yeah. super uh, robot of the week or monster of the week.
1: Mm-hmm. That's always the kind of signature finishing yeah. move, isn't it? You yeah. get gets sort of, uh, you know, it's always the last resort. It, but quite often, though, you get the feeling that it was going to be destroyed anyway, but yeah. it's that whole overkill <laughs> thing yeah. of, you know, like, it's already pretty badly wounded. It's the spark yeah. and there's electric everywhere, and it's like, flame sword. Yeah, <laughs> It gets it out. Does that dramatic sort of downward slice Yeah. <laughs>
0: Because actually on that, you know, again talking a bit about the animation, um, when he does the flame sword and you get the chain, especially in some of the later episodes where he gets the um, upgrade to flame sword, uh, the mm. actual quality of the animation, where that, you know, you get individual animation for mm. the, you know, when he uses it and the and the flame from the flame sword wraps around the.
2: The, the Ben right, Borg yeah.
0: or Twin Borg, you know, actually there's quite a lot of effort that goes into making that unique and not using stock footage for that.
1: There's actually a hell of a lot of unique um, animation in most of the attacks. Yeah. There's, Although some of them are reused, there's also quite a few of them that have individual animation, even for the minor weapons yeah. that aren't used very often. There's um, there's quite a lot of effort put into that. And uh, in Boralios, uh, they don't use much stock footage with you either. No, no.
2: You know,
1: there's a lot of effort put into showing him.
2: Yeah, it's um, definitely.
1: And and sometimes showing his kind of uh, is kind of facial expressions and things like that, it's 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 pretty impressive in, in general when it comes to the sort of use of weaponry and yeah. all the different aspects.
0: It is quite interesting that because the other the other thing I just want to talk about the flame sword as well that always makes me laugh is uh, once he's cut up the uh, bemborg or twimborg and it then sort of explodes, you get this enormous like nuclear explosion, nuclear
1: explosion, yeah,
0: <laughs> and it's massive. <laughs> And if, you know, yeah. every time you get this enormous explosion, I think the place would just be like decimated.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's already kind of so it's all it's already kind of like a post-apocalyptic wasteland, yeah. pretty much. Well, like, at least the, at least uh, Tokyo and the sort of surrounding yeah. you know areas that they're set in are pretty decimated. <laughs> but yeah, if once uh, once Daltanius has uh, has killed a few bombogs, uh, it's going to be like none of Japan left. Yeah.
0: You know, the <laughs> amount that he blows up, the amount of enormous sort of nuclear explosions that go off it's it just you know again talk about 70s sort of anime physics uh you know it just makes me laugh that you know
1: but it just uh, has delirious kind of excess doesn't it it's yeah, like you know there's yeah. so much overkill in this show <laughs> i mean this i mean to talk about that first episode that uh ben Borg really does uh, have a number to know, doesn't he? <laughs> but i mean um there's the addition of the flame sword there's quite a few um other interesting weapons initially you've got like uh, things like the hand slices which are two kind of like
2: yeah
1: you know dagger like weapons yeah there's uh he has a rocket punch of course because it was the 70s yeah and uh Mazinger was influencing a lot yeah, of stuff yeah and it's um and there's also one where he fires both off called double knuckle isn't there he yeah. fires both simultaneously and he also gets a kind of like um a- almost it kind of reminds me of a sort of punk a kind of armband with like loads of spikes
0: yes yeah that's quite <laughs> cool yeah
1: yeah, um, and there's there's just like um, all sorts of kind of uh, things that get added with the mid-series upgrade, like the cannon cubic, which are two yeah. giant sort of cannons that are mounted yeah. on the arms. And uh, but yeah, it's, he has a great arsenal, though. Yeah, he, he has does. got a good arsenal, yeah. He's got a sort of weapon for every single situation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the Benborg-Twinborg Borg designs, I think, are kind of fairly standard, late 70s mm-hmm. Super Robot fare, but... I mean, there's a few standouts in there. Kloppen's one from episode 27, that sort of big that dark thing. Dark. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I believe that, that's, that's uh, its name. It's very suitably named. It's yeah. very ominous looking.
0: You know, sort of big <laughs> samurai Gundam esque type thing. Um, and there's, there's one as well, the Twinborg uh, Barkar from episode 41. That looks a bit like the gun tank. Yeah. As well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think that's quite interesting. And again, Daltania said about a month before Gundam Ed, so they were in kind of production quite close together. So, again, what we we're talking about, a bit of cross-pollination between the the production um, sub-studios at Sunrise. It's, yeah, you you make yeah. me wonder a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I don't think there's too much to say about them. It's, you know, I, even at this point in the late 70s, actually coming up with original mm. enemy robot or monster designs every week. <laughs> Is uh, yeah, you know, we talked in Zambot how many shows were airing through the late mid to late 70s, and mm-hmm. you know, they're all sort of 40, 50, 60 or 70 episodes long. And trying to think of something imaginative, yeah. but, I mean, at this point, they must have really been struggling a little bit with,
1: <laughs> I think so. I mean, there's there's quite a lot of uh sort of monster like uh, robots, isn't there? With you yeah. have a kind of you know, they have a kind of like quite evil looking head, and yeah. a few ones based on animals and stuff. Yeah. Um, and kind of ones that are sort of a um, amalgamation of loads of different designs.
2: Yeah.
1: And interestingly enough there's a really weird uh sort of one, which is the sort of cat like one, which is called Brian. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's how they subtitled it. Yeah. <laughs> that is a really weird uh, yeah, name that for is, one. That but is it just... it has it has the convention of the name popping up on the screen. That a lot of the uh, '70s shows have, we've got to mention yes, that. Yeah. That the name pops up just like we talked about in Zambot Three. Yeah, that was a yeah. quite common thing in the '70s. Kind of. Uh, telling you what? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's mentioned by the lieutenants or it's mentioned in the plot that I've yeah. got this new Benborg called this, but a lot of the time they, they bring it up on screen in that way. <laughs> Another interesting thing about Daltanius is that in the 80s, World Events Productions, a uh, US company, initially wanted to buy Daltanius from Toei and westernize it into an American dubbed version for Western TV. Uh, the story goes that they asked Toei to send them footage of that lion robot show. <laughs> <laughs> and that they meant Daltanius, but the guys at Toei, due to some misunderstanding, actually sent them Beast King Go Lion instead. And because they liked that show more, um, Voltron was born. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, had, had things been different, maybe Daltanius might have been the the best loved yeah. super robot show in America. Yeah. What boggles my mind about the whole Go Lion Daltanius thing is that Go Lion is such an incredibly dark, grim show that they must they must have had to cut so much footage from that. Yeah. Yeah. To make it palatable to Western audiences, that yeah. it's weird that they didn't choose Daltanius to be honest with you. Maybe it was just convenience. Oh, so we've got the tapes already. Let's go with this.
0: Yeah. And it is, it is a strange <laughs> one. It is is weird to think of how. You know, looking back at how popular Voltron was and how sort of influential it was, along with Robotech in in the US in mm. in the early '80s and mid '80s, um, you know, would how differently would it have been received if it had been Daltonius mm. rather than um, Goliath? It's um, yeah, it's a very very uh, interesting scenario that.
1: So if if parallel universes actually exist, this, maybe yeah. this one where Daltonius <laughs> is the uh, is the number one sort of American super robot obsession
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i've seen but bits it's... of voltron um but a long a long time ago i'm, I'm i'd have to go back and watch it again and, and having seen daltonius now um to think well would these scenes would this be different with you know would it be better or worse now it's i'm i'm not really in a position to mm. sort of look back and say whether, whether it had been any different but it's a it's a very very interesting sort of hypothesis really isn't it
1: mm. you know considering the incredibly grim content of go yeah. lion
0: yeah
1: i mean there's cannibalism like you know <laughs> torture
2: yeah
1: um sort of major character deaths um yeah. just like s- slavery and people <laughs> yeah. being processed and turned into meat and fed to like monsters and then being turned into monsters themselves <laughs> it's really really grim stuff yeah, i can't kind of believe in... they actually westernized that yeah. uh, and turned it into a kid-friendly show i <laughs> think they would have just picked something that was a lot more sort of kid fan beat to begin with
0: yeah because you know when the uh the editors and you know the directors of voltron sat down and sort of reviewed watched it to go and to decide what the bits they were going to use you know do they think is this really what we asked for did we <laughs> i thought we were getting some goofy uh comedy show you know
1: <laughs> i would have loved to have seen yeah. uh Sort of footage of that meeting where they sat down and watched it, yeah. especially the first episode. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I would, I would have loved to see the reaction to that first episode.
0: Yeah, you can imagine someone, you know, picking up the phone, you know, a, a smoke laden sort of screening room in the in the early eighties, you know, and a big, a big old school sort of telephone Projection. with a, you know, with a thing, and someone, you know, a load of execs or editors, you know, smoking away watching it, and going, picking up the phone, going, uh, I think you need to come and have a look at this. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can imagine, like you know, the lights coming back on after the uh, projector was shut off, and some people looking <laughs> a bit like they had PTSD. <laughs> but, you know, it's you know. I
0: wonder whether there was a time thing to it, you know, because mm. when you hear about stories about sort of anime production and licensing in in the eighties, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of this stuff, you know, there was no internet. It was long distance phone calls at funny hours mm-hmm. of the day, and faxes, and a big a big language barrier. And culture barrier between America and Japan, Um, Mm -hmm. and I wonder whether you know these things either turned up so late that it was like uh, this isn't quite what we asked for, but we need this needs to be on TV in three months time or a month time or something. So we've just got to go with it to get the editing done, ready for airing, because we've got this slot on this, you know, this Mm. network at this time, and we can't. More than
1: likely, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case actually. That,
0: to me, that's probably the scenario, and it's like, mm. we've just got to go with it, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at the Japanese and American co-productions of, like, shows that were animated in Japan, but uh, made for an American audience, and there's so many, like, colouring and animation mistakes in yeah. because of that language barrier. Yeah. You know, Transformers being a notable example where characters were coloured incorrectly, and there was all sorts of yeah, little yeah. things where you thought, oh, there's obviously been a breakdown in communication between the Japanese and American staff here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and I'm sure it's what it was one of those things like you say you know I mean there's quite a good I did find quite a good blog post from someone who put quite a bit of detail into it and, and if you just search Daltonius it it comes up quite high on the on a on the search for it um but yeah it's uh you know like you say it was certainly the one with the, the lion on it so mm. yeah how 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 interesting that, uh how different uh an anim- American things anime history could have been yeah yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting point of uh, Daltonius. So I think that kind of brings us to the end of our review of Daltonius' Robot of the Future. So we'll sort of wrap up with our final thoughts of it. You know, for me, you know, we talked about some of the sort of tonal difficulties that the show has. I think, I think it struggles a little bit, and some of the story structure problems that, for me, sort of structure of the show. Uh, you know, it's quite important to me of how, how a series flows, but, you know, mm-hmm. and it certainly has its some problems with it. Um, and as I said, I found it a little bit predictable um, towards the end. But having said that, I actually think it's a fantastic series.
1: Yeah, um, me too. I mean, it's it's just got a hell of a lot going for it, hasn't yeah. it, in many ways. Those structure problems do drag it down a little bit in the early half. Yeah. Um, and I w- while I would have preferred more focus on um, ongoing plot stuff, It's still good that it has so much character stuff Yeah. I mean, like I say, I don't find the sort of comedy of it particularly offensive, but it is... Maybe there's just a bit too much goofiness. Yeah. And a bit of that disparity between two tones.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, a bit intrusive at times.
1: mm, It can be, yeah. But I think that um, it makes up for that later on.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It really does, because it it kind of really kicks into high gear plot-wise at the right time. Mm. Um, Just as you're kind of getting a little bit sort of tired of yeah, you know the sort of episodic nature it starts to really pick up
2: yeah I and then agree. it's a
1: kind of home run from there sometimes yeah, you get a few agree. funny episodes or a few, yeah. few bits it lapses back into that episodic nature but for the most part there's always some reminder of the ongoing story yeah and that's with Klopp and, and ormond and you know the sort of um the hideous empire is it's just really well handled from then on
0: yeah definitely um and you know, it's interesting in the late 70s because I think it sort of sits in that pool of kind of dark super robot shows. You know, if you look at where sort of Zambot came along and then with uh, Space Warrior, Baldius, you know, there's there's a sort of... In the late 70s, there was kind of a string of sort of quite dark shows. And, and even though it's very, very goofy, there are some very, very dark elements to it. But, yeah, I think it's, you know, it looks quite good mm-hmm. for a 70s show. I think it's, again, one of the better-looking super robot shows that i've seen definitely
1: for me yeah i mean i haven't seen quite as many super robot shows as you but i do feel that it is um a standout from what i've seen
0: definitely it's you know looks good it's got interesting characters it takes time to develop characters which a lot of shows don't always do quite as so well Uh, it has got a very interesting story it's got a lot of twists and turns in it as well um so it's you know it does a lot of things very very well i think Mm. from the super robot genre i think it does does feel like quite a sort of standout show really you know and quite kind of pivotal with with the lion mecha and the the, that bit of it and the trans sort of detail and the transformation sequences it Mm. does feel very transitional um Mm. you know i know gundam sort of aired a month later or so and and started the real robot thing and this is very much a super robot show but a lot of the elements in it do feel very transitional into what came in the 80s Mm. and followed on um you know especially especially with some of uh, sunrises output as well so uh
1: it's just a very quality production in general isn't it yeah definitely lots of elements that come together quite well despite a few bumps in the road yeah um and i i sort of feel like it deserves a lot more exposure in the west really it does it's a shame that there's no video label picked this up on you know no streaming mm-hmm. service or anything like that because it does feel like too big of a part of Super Robot history to be ignored especially because it is the kind of you know seemingly the genesis of all the Lion Maker shows yeah yeah definitely
0: um, and considering that you know Go Lion and Die Rugger and you know uh, Disc have picked up Voltus V as well mm-hmm. um, you know I kind of hope that you know this might get picked up because I, I completely mm. agree with you. It's very, very worthy of a Western release and some more exposure. um I definitely agree with that. I think you know it's an eight for me. I think like I say it's got some structure problems. Mm. It's got some tone problems, but at the end of the ultimately, day, ultimately
1: it overcomes those.
0: It definitely overcomes them. I wholeheartedly mm. agree with that. um It's definitely a recommendation for me.
1: Yeah, it'd have to be an eight for me as well yeah because despite everything we've discussed you know it's just got so many strong elements to it yeah they can't be ignored yeah that a few minor things aren't gonna uh, don't really get in the way of my enjoyment of it i mean it was my second viewing of it and i i think i actually enjoyed it more the second time and i already had it built up in my mind as quite a good show
2: yeah
1: i already felt like it was kind of a bit of a classic that more people should be aware of
0: yeah
1: um and the second view only only reinforced that really
0: yeah i think it is i think it's you know there are there are lots of good things as we said um yeah and i, I do hope it gets a release in the west and gets more exposure definitely gets a
1: um, wider audience stuff yeah
0: there was the good far outweighs the, the bad in in this show mm-hmm. so uh, yeah so that's a a wholehearted recommendation from the retro mecha podcast
1: absolutely yeah, yeah. 100%
0: right so that's the end of our review of daltonius robot of the future so next time we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to do a director focused episode we're going to look at some of the ovas from Toshihiro hirano Uh, some of the stuff he did in the sort of late 80s and early 90s so we're going to review Hyper Combat Unit Dangayo, Battle of the Great Demon Beasts, Demons of Steel, and Hades Project Zero Rhymer. So, you know, just a a few of those OVAs that were kind of quite instrumental, uh, Mm. quite sort of distinctive. So, uh, yeah, we're going to say do something a a little bit different to kind of mix the format up a bit. So quite looking forward to those.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, The only one I've not seen is Demon of Steel, so looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah, it's, uh,
0: it's yeah, they're good. They're they're quite distinctive and I think that's that's mm. why I I wanted to talk about it. We've talked about some of the long shows and we and we've talked about the movie and manga with uh, five-star stories, but mm-hmm. you know, at that same time through the 80s there was this big sort of mecha OVA, especially with from AIC who turned mm. out a lot of this stuff. So uh so yeah. yeah, we're going to look at a slightly different sort of aspect and sort of subgenre of the Sure. The, the overall mechal genre so um yeah so looking forward to that one it's so same uh, here. so uh so that's it from us then so yeah another really good discussion Craig uh yeah it's been great yeah very very good so was a uh, pleasure so uh where you can find us so you can find us on Twitter at retro we have a blog retro podcast at wordpress.com you can email us at at podcast at gmail.com the podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn, loads and loads of hosting services that use the uh, RSS feeds from, from various shows. So m- most uh, podcast hosting services will uh, will host the podcast. So whatever one you prefer, um, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Uh, Craig, tell us where
1: we can find your work. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's Retro. Um, I've also got a WordPress blog. <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> with remembering the, uh, the names of things. You can find me on Twitter at AnimeHeadsRetro and you can also find me on WordPress, .wordpress AnimeHeadsRetroWorld.wordpress.com
0: And you can find my other podcast, Retro Anime Podcast at RetroAnime on Twitter and Ian at RetroAnimePodcast.com if you want to email me and you can find the podcast at all the same places you can find this podcast. So, until next time Craig.
1: Yep. Bye everyone. Bye everyone.
0: The opening and closing theme music to the podcast is Molten Alloy from Purple Planet Music. All other music used within the podcast is copyrighted to its respective creators.